Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we're reviewing nights four and five of the New Japan Cup, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network and keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prostentees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology development to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code SUPLEX. Young boy, how you doing, man? I am doing fantastic. How are you, man? Doing pretty good, man. I'm uh, I'm happy to be recording this on a Sunday. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, instead of our, our usual uh, Monday nights, Sunday, a little Sunday afternoon action here. Yeah, you know, we just had to get some things kind of moved around. Holiday week coming up, so, you know, uh, this seemed to be the best time. But uh, luckily it fits into the schedule because this coming Monday we do not have action uh as we've had the past couple weeks instead it looks like uh new japan is gonna be moving the next night of the new japan cup to what wednesday 
Yep, so we will be back July 1st with uh, New Japan Cup action on Wednesday. So there's action Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I believe. And there's also mm. Lions Break Project Collision also on Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Oh, wow. Can't miss that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that's going to be huge, right? Yeah, dude. There's going to be some big match implications coming off that show. It's going to shake up the foundations of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Absolutely. Uh, I think like this is kind of the same similar idea to like what uh, Eric Bischoff wanted to do, how he wanted to have like WCW and NWO. Basically, lines break is NWO now. Mm. This is base. This basically sold out. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> All right. So we've got some New Japan Cup action to talk about. We had nights four and five happen since the last time we recorded and as usual, I watch New Japan Cup using the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com, with great features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much, much more. It will take your NJPW World experience to the next level, I'm telling you. Visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Yeah, uh, love that extension. Um Bro, Corona blowing up here in Florida. That's right. What are you doing? What are you doing to stay safe, man? Staying inside. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's like, I'm gonna stay my ass inside. I'm on the. I'm on that James Boyd. <laughs> um, yeah, we got you know record breaking cases here in Florida. Um, literally like breaking the record every day now, and so. Yeah, things are not looking good here. This is basically the Okada of uh, record of states right now. We're breaking all the <laughs> records. Historic. Yes. Uh, once in a lifetime. Yo, seriously, uh, we don't need to make this into like a big long you know thing. But guys, be careful. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Just do it. I'm, I I want to get over this, and I want to be able to like. Go into a restaurant and not be scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to be able to go to Tokyo and like watch, you know, Japanese pro wrestling, and like I, it feels like that might never happen again. Like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would just like to go to a, a local Tampa show. <laughs> yeah, bro. Like I would love that. When was the last time I, we went to a wrestling show? Like I can't remember. Um, I think it was. Tampa Bay Pro to watch Sandy's in-ring debut. Oh, my. Yeah, bro. That was an awful. Shout out to a good friend of the show, Liana Dos Santos, making her debut. There was, some, there was two good matches, but that entire card was whack. I like it. Yeah. It is on on Fight TV. So if you want to see uh, Dos Santos and you want to see Troy Hollywood versus Hunter Law, those were the two good matches from that show. Keep yeah, in mind, Troy Hollywood ver- Church, the the yeah the production's shitty, but uh, Troy Hollywood versus Hunter Law that match was a banger. Like very few people are gonna see. It. If you guys want want a good recommend uh, match recommendation, go watch that. It's free on Fight TV. It's the main event, probably like thirty minutes. Like just amazing that neither of these guys are signed to anywhere like big. They're like Florida's best kept secrets. Like it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Let's say. Keep in mind, it's our our local little indie, so production quality is not great. Uh, so keep that in mind. But, yeah, check out Troy and Hunter and uh, Dos Santos. Some good stuff there. Um, so now let's uh, roll into this New Japan Cup action here. So we had night four 
which concluded the first round of action here. So uh, what were your overall thoughts on night four? Um, I thought it was good. Um, like, okay, this is how I felt. Um, when I think of like a standard new Japan show and I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about like your dominions or something of that nature, but I'm talking about like just your regular everyday new Japan show. Maybe who knows, maybe is Sengoku Lord or a Hino Kuni or something like, you know, a sea level show destruction in Fukushima or something like that. This is what I think of this type of wrestling. This literally had no true blowaway matches on the card, but every single match I would I, I you could say solid, but I'd say it was better than solid. You know, I thought that every single match was very good, but not necessarily great. But this is sort of like your bread and butter New Japan show. It's almost like soul food, like um, or not soul food, maybe like comfort food. You know, this is your very buttery mashed potatoes tastes really good. You know, it's something that your mom can whip whip up for you. You feel comfortable. You feel, you know, familiar. Like this is, that's what this was. Like this was really, it was a eat. I know I saw a lot of people who like, um, were kind of criticizing this night because it didn't have your show Shingo on it. And it didn't have your Suzuki Nagata. And I'm, and you know, if, if that's the kind of fan that you are, you want to, um, come in and, kind of cherry pick that's fine like i'm not gonna blast you for it everybody has their own thing but for like a real new japan fan i felt like personally this was a very like very good night and was something you wouldn't want to miss because it was i thought it was highly entertaining personally like i just did i would put this just slightly above your average road to show personally i was gonna say for me it was kind of like a, a spot on road to show i mean you had a lot of you know solid action for decent main event nothing blow away you had stuff that was, uh, you know, advancing stories, advancing this tournament. Um, you know, it's definitely you want you want to see what's happening in the tournament, so you, you shouldn't miss it. But at the same time, like you're saying, it was nothing was blow away. It, it was fine little action here. Like if you want to skip this night, you, you're really not going to miss a whole ton of stuff unless you're. Uh, oh, I disagree. If you're a completist, you definitely watch it. But uh, honestly, like I would not tell anybody to really go out of their way to watch anything on this card. Okay, well, let me just, in, in the sake of, uh, you know, argument's sake, let me just kind of rebuttal that. It has to be higher than a row two show because we got four singles matches. When's the last time you remember getting four singles matches on any row two right. show? I don't mean as far as, like, I'll see if there's singles matches. I mean, as far as, like, match quality, it was like a row two show to me. I understand that, but at the same time, Singles matches are so rare that regardless of the match quality, I mean, unless they're really stinkers, it's got to be higher than a road to show period because uh, they're singles matches. And the other thing is singles matches always hold significant, like significance as opposed to your standard tag team matches. For that reason alone, I could never tell someone you could just skip this. I mean, if all you're looking for is someone who's like a star ratings, like snob and you're just going to watch to, see cool moves or whatever that's fine but like these matches i thought every single match here was more than solid i thought that this was much better than a road to show um i wouldn't put it like in the level of like b i'd give it like a b minus or a c plus but i thought this was new japan like if someone wanted to know what new japan was i would show them the show 
this is New Japan. This is exactly what New Japan is at day, day in and day out. I thought the show was great. All right, well, let's break down the card here. So starting off, we had Bushi taking on Yo in first-round action here. So what are your thoughts on this opener here? Uh, really impressed with the new music look and attitude of Yo. Yeah, That's the first thing that kind of caught my attention. Yeah, so we've seen, obviously, Sho has had his single music for a while now. He debuted it at Best of Super Juniors last year. And we've kind of seen Sho kind of take his singles gear to kind of like a next level and kind of really separated himself from kind of like Rapungi 3K, Sho and Yo kind of look. And so now we're finally seeing Yo kind of, kind of getting his own feel, his own look. He's getting his own music now and kind of becoming his own individual. Yeah, and... um the moment that that happened, I was like, oh, is this an indication that maybe we were wrong about our prediction as far as the winner here? But then I thought back to uh, night three, and I was like, well, Tanahashi came out with all that drip, and it, it didn't seem to do him so, so, <laughs> so well. All right. But, but um, these guys went out there. Um, I thought they put on a, a heck of a match, honestly. I thought it was really good. Uh, I was surprised that it was as good as it was. Uh, as far as Bushi and Yo, because I like Yo a lot, but I'm I'm never really that impressed with Bushi. I think like unless he's wrestling, say like Zack Saber, or I'm sorry, unless uh, wrestling like Will Osprey, I'm not usually super high on Bushi at all. But uh, I thought that these guys did a lot with the time that was given them. I thought it was uh, very entertaining. I did think, however, it might have gone a smidge too long. Uh, Fifteen minutes just seemed like a a little bit too long to give these guys, especially considering um, it was an important match in terms of the tournament. But like, uh, I I don't I don't know like what other progression aside from it just being a first round tournament match. It really like what what water it really holds in the long you know storytelling element of New Japan. But all around, I thought that these guys had a really good match, and the fact that Bushi put Yo away clean. Like completely clean, no cheating, nothing of that sort. Like he caught him, he hit him with you know the MX uh, off the top rope. Um, kind of tells you where they they see Bushi in terms of his relation to Yo, and it also tells you where they see Yo in terms of Show at this point in the you know in the hierarchy of New Japan when it comes to single stars. Right, we're seeing Show getting a big singles victory over Shingo Takagi, a heavyweight, a guy who's established been the G One. And, you know, Yo is struggling to put away Bushi, who essentially is, you know, the bottom man in Los Ingobernables de Japón. And so, yeah, it's kind of interesting to kind of see the different, you know, paths that Sho and Yo are going in in singles career and kind of where New Japan sees both of these guys. And, you know, I thought this was, was a very good opener. I thought these guys, they, they worked really hard. I do think it's one of the matches that would have definitely benefited from a crowd with Yo and Bushi there. You know, two of, you know, crowd favorites, especially, you know, we were in Corkin Hall here for this show. The Corkin crowd would have loved this match and have really been behind both of these guys. And you would have had a lot of great reactions um, with these two guys here. And so I definitely think that would help. I totally agree with you. I do think for a tournament opener, for it being Yo and Bushi, it could have been a little bit shorter, um, a little bit tighter. Um, But, yeah, at the end of the day, it was fine. You know, throughout the whole match, Bushi was trying to hit, you know, the code breaker variation instead of the MX until he finally does get the MX at the end there and gets the the win on Yo. Yo was teasing a new finish or a new maneuver, and uh, I was seeing online that it was sort of like that 
cross-legged sort of like Falcon arrow suplex move thing that he did towards the end, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of cool. But then it was like, but you, Bushi kicked out of it. So it's like, how effective is it as a new move if you're debuting it? And like, I don't know what Yo's finish even is. Uh, do, uh, you're better with the finishes than I so, do. Do you know? Um, the Stargazer, that that, that uh, calf crusher maneuver that he's Okay. Yeah, because I remember like the first time he was singles in the uh, best super juniors, uh, not ever, but the first time as like you know, in, since he returned from excursion, he didn't really have a finish. He was just rolling guys up, you know. Right, he's in a lot of cradles, a lot of bridge, kind of clutch moves. So I did think when he was teasing, he had a new finish. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like you know, maybe they are gonna kind of give him a little push, uh, similar show, but not the case. Um, that being the uh, aside from that, though, I will say, um, again, the 15 minutes might have been a little too long um, in terms of, like, entertainment standpoint. But from a storytelling element, it does kind of tell you it took Bushy, Bushy quite a while to get rid of Yo. So Yo was with him every step of the way. Um, so that does tell you a little bit, you know, um, guys that can, you know, go and, you know, st- stay with, with a established ex-champion like Bushy. You know, it does say something. It'd be, you know, if, if Bushi beat him in like, say, nine minutes, then we're talking about a whole different, uh, you know, aspect and, and you know, perception of the match. Um, the other thing, too, though, is even though Yo didn't win here, I did think that he did enough uh, to c- kind of make a good accounting of himself as far as like looking like a star, showing charisma, you know, showing he can have a good opener, like everything of that nature. So I thought it was a good outing for him. And, um, you know, that, that them's be the breaks. Like this wasn't his time. Uh, the booking, you know, didn't call for Yoda kind of continue and Bushi's moving on. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I don't know. I would have gone like three and a quarter here, I guess. Yeah. I think I was a uh, three stars fly on this one. Yeah. Good match. So then we move on to the next matchup. Also first round action here with Yoshi Hashi and Hiroshi Tenzon. Um, for me, extremely surprising just uh i i thought this was easily match of the night uh, i know there's gonna be a lot of people who disagree with that uh but i thought yoshihashi and tenzon really went out there and worked their hardest and put on a great match it's kind of reminiscent of i don't know if you remember this in the g1 a couple years ago like one of the first few nights yoshihashi and togi makabe had a really great match it was like night one or night like three. Yeah. Um, this kind of reminded me of that in a sense, like Yoshihashi went out there with something to prove and Tenzon did too. And I think the time off really helped both guys. Cause they, they just both were moving really good, especially Tenzon. Um, and I thought they told an incredible story here filled with a lot of drama. And there was a few times they got me. I thought Tenzon was going to beat Yoshihashi, which given the fact he's a former multiple time, you know, IWGP champion, you know, he's won the G1, stuff like that. Like, it's not unfathomable that he could have beat Yoshiashi because Yoshiashi is kind of a geek. <laughs> but uh, I, I thought that they put on one hell of a match and it was super hard hitting and super engrossing. And um, Tenzan just like fighting for his career, fighting for his life. Like, this is probably the one time this year I'm going to like really, really be impressed with the Tenzan performance. I, I loved it a lot. I thought this was awesome. Yeah, I think we've seen with all the New Japan dads that the time off has kind of helped them all a lot. And with them 
you know, having limited matches in this tournament, I feel like all of them, you know, Nagata, Tenzon, Kojima, have all been going all out and giving it their all, like, trying to give you that kind of throwback performance. That's what we saw here with Tenzon. Like you mentioned, he was moving really good. He was really fired up, really hard-hitting. And like, like you were saying, like, it's like he's fighting for his career. He's holding on to the, the little bit that he has left and, you know, throwing it out all out there and, it, there was, like you mentioned, several times in this match where I thought Tenzon was going to get the win. You know, throughout the match, he's fighting for that Anaconda vice. And there was one point where he had it locked on. He, he had it in deep. It was wrenched. I was like, oh, this geek is going to tap. And <laughs> <laughs> showing this man how to do a real submission hole here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the Anaconda vice. And we'll talk about it later. But, you know, the Anaconda vice is pretty much essentially what Okada is doing in a seated version. No one really has that taker is uh, discussing it, but he's doing a head arm triangle choke, like a head arm, uh, like a seated head arm choke with like a, I don't know how you describe it, but it pretty much is the Anaconda vice. Mm. I don't know if you thought about that yet. I did it, but now that I'm I'm picturing it, I'm like, yeah, it is. Picture it. It is. It's the Anaconda vice. No one's talking, you know, it's the 10 billion yen dream. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, man. Um, you know, the thing I just got to say is all these dads, all these dads, these guys are going in hard, bro. <laughs> yeah. I just want Tenzon to like look into the, into the, uh, like look into the hard cam and like in, in straight English be like, take her, get on my level. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, we're usually, you know, you know, pretty hard critics on Tenzon, especially in this stage of his career and just how he moves around and how he normally he's not looking very good, but you know, no critiques here. He was this is the best Tenzon I've seen um, in this kind of stage of his career. It looked really good here. Fought really hard. Hard-hitting match. Went uh, 17 minutes, uh, but eventually, you know, Tenzon wasn't able to get the win there. Yoshihashi was able to fight out of the Anaconda Vice and um, get Tenzon locked in the butterfly lock. Yeah, and, you know, um, also congrats to Yoshihashi. The thing is with him... Um, we are pretty critical of Yoshihashi on this show, right, rightfully so. There's a lot of things to be critical of. But every once in a while, he will go out there and just have a really surprisingly great performance. And that's not to say that he's not surprisingly great in the ring. If you actually watch him, he is good, mechanically speaking. He's a very, very good wrestler. But, um, you know, I don't think he's like, transcendent or anything of that nature i'd put him just slightly below chase owens in in that effect but at the same time the the one thing he's able to do that i don't ever really see from chase is you know chase i can't remember any time that he's like really started to have a match that transcended to the next level to where you're you're like okay i could see this guy like doing big things and every once in a while yoshihashi will do that and that's kind of what he did here like he they told a great story. He did a fantastic job building drama, building tension, uh, creating doubt that Tenzan, you know, could possibly come back. They had a lot of really awesome comeback sequences with Tenzan, and then um, at the and then they kind of ruined it at the very end because he hit him with that butterfly lock two or three times, and like on the sec, I think it was the second time he locked it in. Tenzan was forced to tap out, but even that you can't really criticize them because. It's just the fact that the butterfly lock sucks ass. Like, yes, dude. That's the one thing that I hated the most about this match was, you know, the both butterfly locks attempts there, and then the final one. I was just like, gosh, the submission is just horrible. 
<laughs> the, what I don't understand about it is like he could just lock in a real butterfly lock. You don't even have to hurt someone. You don't have to wrench it in. Just put it on and make it look believable and it'll be fine. But it's because he's doing a one-arm butterfly lock and quote-unquote wrenching using his leg or thigh like he's got the other arm trapped. It doesn't look like anything. Right. Like, That's like he's just like literally just holding his head. He's holding. He's just holding the guy. Like it doesn't look like anything. Um, but it, but if you can overlook the fact that that's a really terrible move, I thought the match was great. I I've seen some people go as high as four stars. I don't think I'm quite there. Although with a crowd, who knows? I'd probably go like three and three quarters on this. I thought it was. I thought it was match of the night. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I didn't think it was match of the night. I was like somewhere three and a quarter, three and a half range on it. Um, really solid match. Also, we got to talk about the you know the moon salt that uh, Tenzon busted out. He wasn't able to hit it, but went up yeah, there, turned the clock back at a moon salt. Now, I I don't ever notice when he does it. I know that you and I were talking. You mentioned he does it pretty often in big singles matches. Maybe for me, it's just he's not in very many singles matches these days to where right. I don't really so, notice. It's, it's very few. He hasn't had many singles matches since we started doing this show. But I've noticed in, in singles matches he's done it before. Well, not with Young Lions. I know he does. Right, no. But I, in like G1s but, uh, or you know tournaments or whatever, he's, he's done it before. Okay. But I will say this. Um, I saw – I have seen some people criticize this match. And, you know, we don't – we're not usually the hot take podcast or the podcast that's going to like lash out. But I got to tell you something. If you're one of those fans who rated this like three stars or less, then you're just biased at this point. And it's literally based on the fact that – Yoshihashi is pretty much a geek and Tenzan is a New Japan dad and you can't look past that fact because in a vacuum this match was arguably really 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 good and so you know I think that anyone who rated this low is probably just got a uh, geek and dad bias at this point like that's that's gotta be it because there's no I don't think that any reasonable person could watch this match like actually watch it and think it was anything less than really good. Yeah, if it's if you're like going, like I don't see how if you're going below three, that's yeah, then that's not it's not where it's. At. I don't even think it. I think it's it's got to be higher than three. I think three is too low. Like I I could see how how some people might be, go three and a quarter, and I th- know things are wonky because we're in an empty arena. But uh, I mean, if someone went four stars, I really wouldn't argue with them. Honestly, like I didn't go that high, but I wouldn't like say that they're way off base because. Uh, one thing that was awesome about this match, they hit each other really freaking hard. Like, this is a hard-fought, hard-work match. Uh, I didn't expect this to be the hard-hitting match of the night. You know, I expected that to be, like, Evil Kojima or, like, Goto and Yujiro. But this match, it's it surprised me. I thought it was really good. Yeah. So, yeah. So, from, from there, we move on. We had eight-man tag action. We had the Chaos team of Okada, Sho, Ishii. And Toriano taking on the LIJ team of Hiromu, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. Um, I just absolutely adored this tag match. And for one reason and one reason only, Hiromu versus Yano. Oh, <laughs> my God. There were so many moments. Like, this This was incredible, bro. Yeah, so obviously we talked about last week, you know, the callback to when Yano was kind of in his more, you know, um, Deathmatch slash you know hardcore evil gimmick whatever you want to call it, and he shaved Hiromu's head when he was still a young lion prior to excursion. 
And then Hiromu, you know, suddenly got flashbacks and remembered that Yano did that. And so we've had this whole kind of build up with the promos. And then this matchup here where uh, Yano busts out the razor and is trying to, you know, shave his head again. And all the, the Yano antics and just the interaction between him and Hiromu. It was, yeah, it was really great. Um, my favorite part of the match was even before the match started when Hiromu just walks out. And he's like, you just see his eyes looking through the, like the freaking um curtains and he's just so shook like he's (laughs) shook to his core and uh like he's just scared and at one point like when the rest of lij is making their entrances he's like on the ground just crying and like wailing (laughs) and like slamming on the floor and no one else in lij is acknowledging or even like paying attention it's like your little brother's throwing a tantrum you just don't care yeah like you're like you're like oh that's johnny like oh, that's Hiromu. Like it was really great. And then um, the comedy between Yano and uh, Hiromu, like the whole match was just centered around that. Like uh, I don't want to take too much away because yes, we got really cool interactions between like uh, one thing was like show had to fight off Shingo and Sonata because he has a feud going with Shingo and he beat Shingo, but he's also got Sonata in the next round. So that was kind of like an interesting thing going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Ishii and Shingo were interacting quite a bit. Um, Okada and Sonata had some good interactions, but, uh, the, the interesting thing was Naito and Okada, um, kind of, you know, big, 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 uh, you know, what, what's the word? Big they're enemies. Field. No, just that they're enemies with one another, you know, and they're, they're, they're rivals. So you can kind of feel that rivalry all throughout the match here. But, um, you know, all that was great, but it, it really did take a huge backseat to Yano and Hiromu. Like that was the story of the match. Yeah. I think that's, that was what they were really trying to get over here, especially with that match being the next day. So there's a lot of emphasis here on this Hiromu Yano rivalry towards the end. They end up uh, brawling out throughout the concession area. Yano pulls out tape, tapes Hiromu's legs together. You got, you got Okada running out there to try and get them back in the ring so they don't get counted out, but it was too late and we got a double count out here. So we had a draw. Yeah, and they did they they're doing comedy like next level. Like I don't know anyone who's like as physically funny as Hiromu Takahashi when it comes to like just his selling and his facials. Like he is hilarious. Him and Yano is gold. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. Like you know, instead of like trying to like cut the tape and get him out, like Naito and Shingo just like picked him up, all taped up, and was like carried him yeah. to the back. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so after that, we got the intermission. Once we came back from intermission, we got the, uh, third and, uh, semi-final, you know, the, the, uh, co-main event or, you know, undercard. I don't know what the word is. Semi-main. So we, the, yeah, God, why am I forgetting words today? Uh, so we got Hiroki Goto versus Yujiro Takahashi. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought this match was a fine little match. You have Hiroki Goto, you know, Mr. New Japan Cup. Um, Goto can turn it on when he wants. You have Yujiro, who really hasn't, you know, put out any you know highlight matches in quite some time. And I think the last really good Yujiro match that I remember is the New Japan Cup match he had with Juice two years ago. Mm. And that was like a first round match, um, and he got knocked out. And yeah, I thought that that match was pretty good. I didn't think that the Goto Yujiro match was quite to that level. But with that being said, I thought it was good. Uh, I would say better than Bushi Yo. But at the same time, because 
it was never really in doubt for me whether Goto was moving on. I don't know, like, why I felt that way. I just did. And Yujiro had, what, heaters out there, right? He had Jado out there with the cane, yeah. Bro, I got to tell you, like, Bullet Club is not feeling like any sort of anything at all during this tournament whatsoever. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. Like, Well, I mean, all the key members are not there. <laughs> yeah, you don't have Kenta, you don't have Jay White, you don't have G.O.D. And without, like, those three components, like, I, I don't know. Bullet Club just feels like weak as fuck (laughs) like literally and even when the even when you have all those guys it still kind of feels like i don't know what this is like you know when you kind of look i think us looking back through the history the past you know couple months has kind of reminded me like what bull club used to be and could have been and what they're not anymore right (laughs) and it also feels like in the past few months it's kind of taken you know with i think with jay white Ever since he lost the IWGB title, it's also not really felt quite like what it was. Like when he first took over, it was one thing, but since then, I, I'm not totally sure, you know. But uh, but that being said, Goto Goto got past Yujiro. Yujiro tried to he cheated a lot. Like I feel like this again. This was a match that I think would have done fine in front of a Corican crowd. Yeah, you know, but, you, would, you would have had the crowd booing when Jado was getting interfer- interfering and pulling the foot and. Hitting with the cane, stuff like that. Um, but there, but this is a match for a crowd, and it was sort of like, to be honest with you, watching it, I was kind of a little bored. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't hard hitting, it wasn't fast pace, a lot of interference. Yeah, it was, it was fine. But even still, I thought it was good. I'd, I'd still go like three and a quarter on it, but it it wasn't it wasn't like egregiously bad. Like I don't think that they overdid the. Uh, you know, I don't think it was like full of too much like fuckery or anything like that. It's just there's no crowd, so I don't know that the style of wrestling match that they're doing really works as as well uh, in that context. I thought the end of the match, the close of the match, was good, just like almost most New Japan matches. But at the end of the day, I'd still go like three and a quarter. I thought it was I thought it was good. Yeah. So then we move on to the main event of the evening. We had. Evil taking on my man, the leader of the Bread Club, Satoshi Kojima. Um, I like this match a lot. Yeah, I thought this was a, a very good main event. Kojima is another one of those New Japan dads who's obviously not in the prime, but went out here and you know gave it his all. They they worked the match around what he can still do really well, and he went out there. I think it was uh, hard hitting. Um, Kojima showed a lot of great intensity. Um, you know, you had Evil out there. He had, he had to cheat to beat Kojima, uh, attacking this man's arm with a chair. He knew he couldn't handle the strongest lariat, so he had to get a chair and try and break down uh, Kojima here. Yeah, uh, that's one thing, you know. If, if you're having a match in an empty arena, right, um, you know, we talked about some of the ways that you can try to, like, make it entertaining. One is... You know, to hit each other really, really hard, go super violent. Uh, Another is to, like, keep it really short, you know, and just be, like, super snappy. But I think one thing people are underlooking is, like, deep storytelling. And I thought that this match was kind of filled with that, uh, a version of what I'm talking about. The fact that Evil was specifically targeting targeting the, uh, the arm that Kojima uses for the lariats and probably also for the chops for that matter. Right. Uh, 
that really gives a narrative that needs to be there. And, you know, I was critical last week of, say, like, Bushi and Abushi and um, ZSJ because it's lack of narrative. And I think that that's one thing here. It's like if you're going to have no audience to kind of play off of and that sort of thing, there needs to be something that we as the the viewers at home can really latch onto. And I think Evil and Kojima did a fantastic job of that. It's just building that narrative that Evil had a goal to take out Kojima's arm. And that's exactly what he did. Like he used the chairs, he, he used his uh, you know, resources on the outside, and that's exactly what he went for in this match. Right. So yeah, break trying to break down the strongest arm. So yeah, no lariats, no chops here. And pretty much avoiding all of Kojima's key offense. You know, Kojima would go for these uh slingshot elbows and evils. And moving out of the way and kind of had Kojima uh, really well scouted here. Um, there was a cool spot where he attempted to do the everything's evil on the apron. Kojima reversed it into a DT onto the apron. And, you know, a real kind of good back and forth towards the end here. Eventually, Kojima, you know, fighting back, coming back, hitting a brain buster for a near fall, um, trying to bust out the lariats. Um, evil would use, you know, red shoes to do his, um, the, the magic killer where he throws him up on, on red shoes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we had that spot there. And then, you know, let's find down to the end where uh, Kojima hits a layer to the back and he's going in for another one. But evil just kind of catches him out of nowhere with the everything is evil STO and gets the pin here. You know, that's funny. Uh, listening to Tama's Island, uh, which is Tamatunga's new podcast. That is something that he's alluded to is the fact that like, him and Tangaloa were like pretty pissed when they found out that like G uh, the LIJ was just going to start using the magic killer because that was supposed to be a move that was like handed to them literally from Gallows and Anderson. And then like the next show after they left, like LIJ was using it and they're yeah. like, what the <laughs> like what? Yeah. Evil and I were like, Oh, snatch. That's ours now. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, uh, yoink. <laughs> they said, um, I don't, I don't care. 30 years this biz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I, I thought this match was like a really good pace. I didn't think it was super fast paced, but it wasn't too slow either. Um, I thought these guys did a great job of just like mixing in the storytelling, mixing in the hard hitting action, um, you know, classic wrestling match back and forth. Um, you know, not that Kojima... You know, I did hear you say earlier that like we didn't see too much arm arm based offense, and like that's kind of true. But towards the end of the match, uh, Kojima did kind of still get in the machine gun chops. He did still like hit the lariat. It's just they were weakened. You know, right, he had to right. sell off of them, which was great. Um, but the cool thing was like Kojima was even rallying at the very end of the match. He was still rallying and looking like he was on his way to maybe coming back and then evil just snatched him into that STO out of nowhere. Just boom, puts him down one, two, three. I liked the finish a lot because it was a definitive win for evil, but Kojima looked good, man. Like he looked like he was, I mean, he hung with him the whole 20 minutes, which was like pretty cool. Um, if someone wanted to argue that this was their match tonight, I wouldn't really debate you on it because I think it was pretty close to the Tenzan Yoshihashi match. And it, it was definitely a really good, good fitting main event for this evening and um the the cool thing here victory lap we got every single prediction right for this uh this this uh portion of the bracket yeah clean sweep here we both got all the predictions right here um yeah this was my match of the night uh for me and yeah i thought yeah kojima looked really good here 
And so evil moves on. Yeah. Just uh, like I said, your comfort food, bread and butter, New Japan Cup night. Um, I wouldn't say it was like my best, you know, the best night of the tournament or anything of that matter. But uh, I liked it a lot. I thought it was good. And um, we move on, you know. So we're moving on. We got Bushi taking on um, – who is he's taking on Yoshihashi in the next round. Yep. And then after that, we've got Evil taking on um, Goto. Goto. So, yeah. Good stuff. I, 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 this is not my favorite region. Even though I thought this, <laughs> this night – even though I thought this night was pretty good, like those those – I mean I think Evil Goto could wind up being pretty good, but I'm, I don't have a lot of faith in – Bushi and uh, Yoshihashi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that wraps up night four and round one. Before we move on to round two, we did get a um, question emailed to us from one of our listeners, Tana Matapia. And so, first off, he says, first, just want to point out last week, young boy, you stated both Ishimori and Goto were in new gear for the New Japan Cup. Makes me wonder if you watch Wrestle Kingdom, young boy, lol. They're both wearing the same gear they wore for Wrestle Kingdom. Only thing new is Ishimori's headgear. I suppose I'll cut you some slack and chuck it up to it being so long since our last show. Just rusty, and the only opinion was for me was to Japan explain it to you. To borrow what must currently be your uncoined catchphrase, nah, I'm just playing. Ha ha ha. Yeah, you better throw in a nah, I'm just playing, because I'm about to be like, <laughs> be like, wait, every single week we're on this show, every single week people be asking me these obscure ass questions about shoot fights and historical references and what's the significance of fmw and what's the significance of you know rings and blah 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 blah. and and i don't even prepare for any of this shit and i come out here and off the dome just tell you guys what i what i remember and be like yo if if i messed up y'all y'all hit me up and then this man tana matopia want to talk about some mid carters uh like attires from January at Wrestle Kingdom. Like, dude, I don't remember what Goto and <laughs> Ishimori wore. I don't even remember what matches they were in at. What matches were those two guys in at Wrestle Kingdom, bro? Uh, Ishimori was a team of ELP against Rapungi 3K. Goto. Bare, I barely, like, I kind of remember that. I know it wasn't that good. The Goto faced Kenta, right? For Never Title? Oh, yeah, that match that a lot of people want to pretend like it was really good, but it really was not that good. Yeah. I Okay, I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of the Goto-Kenta match. I, honestly, I don't really remember it, to be honest. <laughs> I think it was, what, night two? Uh, I think so. Yeah, this man yeah. said, I'm going to cut you some slack. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so now on to his question. He says, of all the first round New Japan Cup matches we've seen, in your opinions, which match matches have overachieved slash exceeded expectations and which ones have been the biggest disappointments? For him personally, he can't believe how much he enjoyed Yoshihashi and the Tenzon match. They both worked their asses off and what I expected to be a musket match of the first round became one of my favorite matches of the first four nights. As far as disappointment, Okada and Gato was ten times the Snorfest that I expected it to be. It felt so forced, contrived, and just about every other adjective that we've typically associated more so with WWE matches rather than NJPW. Also, Taichi and Tanahashi did not measure up to the lofty expectations. Overall, it was much too long for such a slow-paced match. Anyways, keep up the great work, boys. Thanks. Uh, well, I like his question a lot, so I'm going to take back some of the <laughs> negative vitriol that I was spewing earlier. No, I'm just playing, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
I guess I do say no. I'm just playing a lot. You know what? <laughs> one one thing. Uh, <laughs> one thing my girlfriend pointed out is I say the handwriting's on the wall a lot on the show, and and she's like the saying is the writing is on the wall, and I was like yeah, but I don't like that. It's the handwriting is on the wall. <laughs> And we, we had a discussion. I was telling her, like, it's a Bible story. And I was like, because they saw a hand writing on the wall. And she's like, yeah, but that's not handwriting. I was like, but to me it is. The handwriting's on the wall. <laughs> it, it's hey, it's your gimmick. It's your catchphrase. You do you. Well, dude, I thought this whole time I was, like, saying something that was, like, a common colloquial statement. And now I'm realizing I, I invented this shit. So <laughs> it's mine now. <laughs> Um, but what, what's your opinion on this question that uh, Tanamato P asked us? Yeah, great question. As far as biggest disappointment for me, I think we overachieved, exceeded. So overachieved or or disappointed. Yeah. So I'll start with the, the negative first. So my disappointed, my biggest disappointment was um, Abushi and Saber. It was one from day one that I had circled. I'm like, these guys have great chemistry. Uh, empty arena match with. Saber being submission guy and Abushi being a striker, it could be sort of like an MMA kind of shoot fight, and you kind of focus in on the action. Like it's going to be a really good match. It's going to be you know top match of of first round, and, and it wasn't that. I was definitely disappointed by that match. I would agree with you, um, but I gotta go as far as disappointment. Nothing disappointed me as much as having to sit there and sit through that entire Tai Chi. Uh, freaking Tanahashi match, like my god! And for for all the reasons that you mentioned, I agree as far as the Zack Saber and and Ibushi match. But ultimately, even though I didn't really like the match, it is quote unquote arguably still good. But I thought that Tanahashi and um, freaking Taichi was actively bad personally, and it was much much too long. I think it was the worst of all the main events through the first four nights of the tournament. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. I'm sorry. Because even though it's bad, you know, Tanamato Pia is right. I don't. I wouldn't say that um, Okada and Gato disappointed me, quote-unquote, but it was bad. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have high expectations for that match, but, yeah, it, it was rough to get through. It, it wasn't as funny as I hoped and thought it might be. So in that regard, it did kind of disappoint me. But, yeah... Um, yeah, but I think that's my biggest disappointment. As far as overachieved, I think I got to agree with him. I think Yoshihashi and Tenzan was the most overachieving match in my book because I did think it was going to be a, like, a let's just skip this match, I, and I wasn't going to like it at all. Um, I thought it was, like, potential to be one of the worst matches of the tournament, and it's far from it. It's not the It's not the best of the tournament, but as far as its aptitude, it well overachieved what it should have. For me, I'm gonna have to go with Hanma and Hiromu. That was Ooh, one. That's a good pick. I was not. I did not have high expectations for it. I'm like, you know, Hiromu's gonna have to, you know, get through this match and, you know, make it as good as possible. But that was a banger, and it was a really, really good match, and one of my favorite matches from uh, the first round of action. And that was another one where I know Hanma's not quote unquote a New Japan dad, but I kind of lump him in that category, and he kind of, you know. Rewind the clock and had a great match for Romu. You know what? I totally forgot about that, and I agree with you 100%. That's another match that I thought was really fantastic, and I, I know you liked it a lot too. And I saw people underrating it. And I think, again, 
geek slash dad bias. People know that Hama's not good, and they have kind of, and especially newer fans who don't have the attachment or memories of what he was watch it and they hand wave it before. I think there's a lot of fans who I just think are not giving some of these matches a fair shake, to be honest with you, because that one was really, really, really good. And so was uh, this, the one that I mentioned. And a lot of people kind of didn't give it that kind of, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think those got their due. Unfortunately, I think they're underrated. Definitely. Great question. Um, Yeah. And I agree. Yeah, I didn't like Tanahashi and Taichi. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was fine. Definitely could have been better, but bro, I, bro, it was long, and they've had good match. They've had really good matches before. Yeah, could could have been better. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we're gonna move on to night five, and night five would open up the second round of the New Japan Cup 2020. In the first match of the night, we had the Bone Soldier a.k.a. Shredder, Taiji Ishimori, taking on his old rival in Yoshinobu Kanemaru. What do you think about this one? Yeah, interesting story here. You know, uh, Ishimori and Kanemaru both coming from Noah, where they spent the majority of their careers there. You know, we've mentioned on the show before, but it's not the most widely known thing. Yoshinobu Kanemaru is, you know, kind of seen as, like, a longtime ace of the junior division in Noah. And when he was on top and, and Ishimori was kind of making his way up, Kanemaru always had his number, was always kind of the guy that, like, you know, uh, beat him. And Ishimori was never able to kind of get the big win in singles competition over Kanemaru. With that even being the case, once they made their way to New Japan, they faced each other twice previous during uh, Super Juniors and New Japan has done a really great job kind of keeping that narrative going because, you know, they've never given Ishimori a singles win over Kanemaru. And so it seems like this might be the time when they do it, just kind of looking at the field. But at the same time, it's the opener of, you know, the first night of the second round. You've got to figure if it's an opener, they're probably not getting a lot of time. Like, how good is this actually going to be, you know? Right. And, um, is there a chance that they kind of go with the old faithful booking and give Kanemaru the upset win? Like it was totally possible. And that's sort of what I was kind of thinking might happen. But, you know, luckily they kind of got Kanemaru to get the, uh, or I'm sorry, Ishimori to get the Kanemaru monkey off of his back. And he was able to pick up his first singles win over Kanemaru here. And I thought the match was, it was okay. It was, it was, it was fine for an opener. Yeah, so like you mentioned, yeah, coming into this match, they were 11 and 0, yeah, in singles matches. Taiji Ishimori not able to beat uh, Kanemaru in 11 matches, and so yeah, it was kind of a big kind of deal for him to finally try and beat Kanemaru. Started off the match with you know the Suzuki gun jumping where Kanemaru jumps Taiji in the entranceway as he's coming down from the stage there, attacks him there and gets the advantage over Ishimori. So. In a way, Ishimori is kind of playing babyface here, and he's having to fight from underneath and come back and, you know, really sell this beating from Kanemaru until he can finally, you know, mount some offense and uh, come back and, you know, avoid getting hit with a deep impact and then hit the bloody cross. Yeah, um, and the the thing there is they created a lot of a doubt as well because they had Kanemaru sort of in control 
through the majority of the match. And like you mentioned, they kind of had uh, Ishimori as the babyface de facto. Even though these are both heels, he was sort of like the, the face in peril. And Kanemaru really targeted the legs and was looking to set up the deep impact. There was one moment where he went to hit the Satori surprise. Yeah. And Ishimori covered his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of scouted him. He knew that was coming. And he made him drink all the whiskey, which I thought was, like, pretty funny and, you know, pretty smart. The match wasn't blow away. Uh, I guess it's sort of a whimper uh, in a way to kind of, like, have this guy's first major, you know, singles win over his, you know, old – old nemesis being a nine minute opener, but that's just kind of where they are in their careers at this point. Like Ishimori is like one of the top stars in the junior division. And like Kinemaru is not quite that anymore. You know, his, his best, his best days are behind him. Yeah. But yeah, I thought this was a really good opener. It was, it was pretty short. It was nine minutes, 18 seconds. So it had a, a fast pace. It told a, a very good story of, you know, Kanemaru kind of doing whatever it takes to kind of keep that winning record over Ishimori. Ishimori, having to you know, fight back valiantly and come back to beat the dastardly Kanemaru and get the win here. So I really yeah. enjoyed this. Yeah, I agree. So moving on, we had more second-round action with the Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii, taking on Togi Makabe. Yes, yeah, so this uh, you know, is a continuation of an age-old feud. Um, you know, these two guys have been in the never division and faced off against one another. Like, I don't even know, like probably close, like in excess of 15, maybe even 20 times. Like, so they're no strangers to one another. They always have great matches. And I think Ishii is one of the few guys in the company still that, um, knows how to work the style to easily draw out a great match of Togi Makabe at this current time. And that's exactly what he did here. These guys, you know, were kind of expected to deliver a really good match and they absolutely did. Um, I was on the edge of my seat. This is super hard hitting. Um, I went four stars on it and it was them playing the hits, but the hits are still the hits and it was still really, really, really enjoyable. Yeah. This, this match, it was very hard hitting. Um, Togi Makabe, you know, has been doing great in this tournament um, you know, he's really working hard. You know, I think, you know, I think that once again, the break did really good for him. And he just, you know, came out, had um, a really good match here. And, he, you know, we get a lot of criticism on Makabe because he doesn't really bump a lot. And it's kind of the, the inside joke, you know, you know how many bumps is Makabe going to take tonight? Well, in this match, in the Suji match, you know, he was bumping a lot and, you know, was fired up and doing a lot of cool stuff that he normally doesn't do in his matches at this stage in his career. And, you know, you got him, you know, doing top rope, um, you know, belly to belly suplexes off the top rope and fighting spirit spots and no selling. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was really great. And here's the thing, too, is like at the end of the day, regardless of what you want to say as far as like Mock Bay's ability to go in the ring is at this point, they have protected him in the booking so much so, especially as his finishing maneuver that He's still at the point where, yeah, he's not going to win every match. But if he hits you with the King Kong knee drop, I don't care if you're Yoda Suji or you're Kazushika Okada, you are going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> that is the magic of the King Kong knee drop. It's one of the, those few sacred protected finishers uh, along with like what? Fale's Bad Luck Fall is yeah. another one. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain guys who can go into, say, a G1 and always have that 
you know, that smoking ace, like they can hit you with one move and that be it. And so, yeah, it was pretty much assumed Ishii was going to continue. But at the same time, there's always that little bit of doubt that it's like, man, if this guy goes to the top rope and he lands this thing, it is going to be it. It's going to be a wrap and it's going to be nights out, lights out for, uh, you know, Tomohiro Ishii. And fortunately, Ishii did get past him. Um, I, I do want to congratulate Gato for having incredible matchmaking ability here because think about the two guys he put uh, Makabe in there with. You know, Yoda Suji, young lion, big, burly, you know, hard hitting, perfect guy as, you know, who's who's a young lion to get a good, you know, match out of Togi Makabe, make him look really good. And then Tomohiro Ishii, who's one of the best in the business at working that style, probably the best in the world. So, you know, out of all this, even though Makabe's, you know, kind of not continuing, obviously, he had a super great accounting of himself. And it, a lot of it is based on the fact that they, accentuated his positives and hid the negatives right yeah one spot i really love in this match was when ishii german suplex makabe into the turnbuckle like the match just kicked into another level from from that that suplex spot and then from there they just kind of went ham with the strikes and the suplexes it was awesome yeah it was it was just if you've ever seen an ishii makabe match this is right up there with with all of them and it's them playing the hits it kind of reminded me in a way of what happened at the G1 in Dallas this year when we saw Tanahashi and um, Okada. It wasn't the best match they ever had, but it was them playing the hits. And them playing the hits is still fantastic, and that's what Ishii Makabe is. It's one of the most storied and you know revered rivalries of the, of the Never Division in New Japan ever. Like These are two hosses that just kick ass. It's awesome. Yep, so like you mentioned, Ishii gets the big win here with the vertical drop brain buster, and we'll move on to the next round of the tournament. Yeah, and you know what that means. Ishii moves on. We only need one other key win to get the dream match that we've been hoping for since we saw this whole thing start. Wait, which which match? Hiromu and, and Ishii. Mm. All we need at this point is Hiromu to win one more, and that's it. It's it's done deal. Yeah, we're right there. <laughs> so uh, moving on, we had a six-man tag match in between the tournament matches here. We had Tanahashi teaming up with Ibushi and Rusuke Taguchi to take on the Suzuki-gun team of Doki, Taichi, and Zack Sabre Jr. Gotta tell you, Jeremy, I don't often do this, but I, for time constraints, I skipped this match. Mm. I, I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't see anything here that's too interesting. I think I kind of, I kind of, I think I got my fill of dangerous techers and golden aces the night, you know, a couple nights prior to this. So I was just, I didn't watch it. Did I miss something? Was it good? Um, I mean, it was a fine six man tag. I mean, uh, nothing blow away. I don't think it's worth, you know, going back to rewatch, uh, Taguchi hits Dodon on Doki to get the win for his team. Then post match, Saber and Taichi attack Tanahashi and Ibuchi. Um, they tease hitting a belt shot, but then Taguchi jumped in and grabbed the belts. Um, and then Tanahashi and Ibushi recovered, and Taichi and Saber bailed. So, once again, it's continuing to set up that rivalry. Obviously, we got Taichi and Ibushi. We're facing off um, next this coming up week. And then there's also the potential tag title match down the line at some point as well. So, Yeah, I mean, I that's exactly what I figured. I saw this on paper, and I was like, they're going to, you know, obviously they're going to build to the big match between Ibushi and Taichi. 
And obviously we've got a tag match that's somewhere on the horizon that they've been teasing since February. But other than that, there didn't seem to be a lot of heat here. Like I was just like, you know, no reason for me to watch. Ain't nothing for me here. <laughs> <laughs> so from then, you know, we had intermission. We had to wait to the Grandmaster video again. And then we. Uh, bro, bro. Have you thought about what if way of the Grandmaster? What if the Grandmaster is someone that we're not expecting? Like what if it's Rusev? We could be, and we do have a question about that um, later on. I mean, exactly. What if Rusev, what if Rusev is like adopting a Shalin Monk like gimmick, and he's coming in like like the last Airbender? Could be. I think you know a lot. A lot of us we're assuming the guy that's fighting in the woods is the Grandmaster, but it could be. Maybe that's one of the Grandmaster's students, and it's just a video to build up the Grandmaster and want to reveal it's somebody that, that's not Kawato, it's somebody else. Can you think of any great ma- like wrestlers that have the name Master in their name? Um, Bro, because the first thing I hear when I think of Grandmaster is the Shockmaster. Oh, I think of Grandmaster Sexay. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Brian Lawler was pretty good, actually. He threw a good working punch. He's from the Memphis Territory. They all throw good working punches, so he had that going for him. He had that top rope leg drop that was pretty good. Bro, they were over. Yeah, too cool. Bro, too too cool is freaking over. <laughs> like, I don't know if people remember, but they were really, 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 really over. Um, but even still, like, I can't think of any great wrestlers that have the name Master in their name. Like, that feels like you're just setting yourself up for failure by having the word Master in your name. Right. Also think of, you know, Ringmaster, Steve Austin. Well, he was pretty great. Yeah, the Ringmaster. But, but that gimmick wasn't gonna take him to the main event though that's true yeah yeah this grandmaster thing's pretty precarious like i don't know if i if i was betting man i'm not saying it won't work but if i had a bet i wouldn't bet money that it would well yeah we'll, we'll see what happens with it <laughs> we'll see so next up we had a lot of people's favorite match of this night hiromu takahashi taking on toru yano bro j- the they just continued to build on that's the thing with great rivalries is you know one match builds off of another and another and it just continues to grow from there and the payoffs are just so satisfying and that's what we got here you know um once again hiromu comes to the curtain and he is shook to his core giving us the same facials as the night before the big difference though is he has the hard hat on this time he's protecting his hair protecting his curly locks and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you remember this, uh, Jeremy. We first started the show. When Hiromu first came to the company, he went on that monster role. He like beat Kushida, and then he was kind of like the junior Brock Lesnar. Like he was just like murking everybody every single month. He murked like Ricochet and Taguchi and all these guys. And then it wasn't until like Super Juniors that he started suffering losses. And then and then eventually he did drop the title. And once he dropped the title every month after that, like every big show, he'd come out and try to like, you know, challenge for the title. And he'd try to come out and challenge for the title. And Marty Skrull broke his fingers. So then the next time he comes out, he's got karate gloves on. And then someone, I think it was like Will Ospreay, like poked him in the eyes. So the next time he came out, he had like, you know, a face mask <laughs> on. <laughs> and then like, like finally, like th- that's how they like eventually set up like the match between uh, the the four way at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Is like he kept trying to come out and get his title shot every month, and different guys kept like beating him up. And so like 
he came out to like challenge for the four way and he had like full on like karate body gear. He had like a head mask on and like gloves (laughs) and like knee pads. Like it was fucking ridiculous. And like that, that was always like, that was like a total different side, like a comedy side of him that people hadn't seen at that point. That's kind of what we got here is like this dude came out with a freaking hard, a construction hard hat on like, like that's going to like, first off, how is that legal? You're going to wrestle in a hard hat. Like, <laughs> like did the IWGP approve this? Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't, I don't know what's going on here with the IWGP and the officiating Oh yeah. Hiromu comes out with the hard hat. Um, and then Yano comes out and Yano, I think Yano stole triple H's magic spray. You know, he got this, this yeah. spray bottle. <laughs> um, what was the deal? I, I keep hearing, you know, I don't follow WWE. I know like he said what, that they had a spray that like just, they could spray it and it would like disinfect, kill covid or something yeah you're he's, he's talking about like, like this magic spray or i don't even call it that but you know it's like this spray that they're gonna start they've been using to help prevent you know people from getting the virus and blah blah well that worked real well yeah well because yano well yano stole the spray so that that's what happened there oh so they were using the spray and it was working perfectly Yano went to America, stole the spray from Triple H. Well, and because Triple H only had the means to get one spray bottle that Yano stole, now there's like 40 people in WWE with COVID. Exactly, except Yano had Kushida send him the spray. Oh. Uh, it's, it's a sabotage, <laughs> inside job. She's like, oh, you're not going to push me? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically... Are you saying that Kushida is the chaos mole inside of NXT? Yes. Oh my god, <laughs> bro! Listen, that would make that would make Yano the biggest heel in all of professional wrestling right now. No, no, that's not true. There's some there's some pretty big heels after the last couple weeks, but yeah. uh, those guys. It looks like most of those guys are leaving wrestling. So right now, Yano is the biggest heel in all of pro wrestling. He stole the spray, and it's WWE, and now WWE, everyone's got COVID because of Yano. Yeah. Has nothing to do with them not allowing masks. No. Has nothing not, to do with them not testing. Not not at all. No, none of that. Not at all. None of that. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the performers going out and, and going to, you know, freaking amusement parks and, and not disclosing the facts of where they've been to, you know, to the test. No. None of that. <laughs> it was it was the magic spray that got stolen by Yano. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, you know, after the match starts, the ref takes the spray away from Yano. Yano pulls out some hair clippers, and, you know, Hiromu's terrified, and he's running and crawling under the ring. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yano's Uh, going after him. Uh, Hiromu eventually gets the clippers, and he tries to use them, but the battery's dead. No, here's the funny thing. He tries – he takes his hat off because now he feels confident because he's got the clippers, (laughs) and the clippers don't work. And then Yano has a grinning smile because he knows they don't work. And then he pulls out another set of clippers. He set this man, bro. He is a master trapper. He he trapped this man, bro. Mm-hmm. He baited him. It's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, he gets a second uh, set of clippers, and he's uh, you know going after Hiromu with them, and uh, you know Romo hits a, a drop kick and sends Yano to the barricade. Then they're kind of going on from there, kind of um, back and forth. You know, Yano exposes a turnbuckle. Um, it pretty much kind of builds up to them fighting outside the ring and heading their way to the back area like they did the night before. And, bro, they were given a lot of leeway here. Like, uh, who was the referee? Red Shoes? Yes, I think. Was it Red Shoes? 
I, uh, I don't remember. No, I think whoever, it, I think it was Marty Asami. Okay, whoever the referee was, whether it was Marty or you know whoever, they gave them a lot of leeway because they were on the outside for what felt like the majority of the match. Yeah, and at a certain point, once the Clipper like the Clippers were gone, Clippers are gone, everything like that, then. Yano pulls out shears and he's got scissors and he's freaking chasing this dude with with like you know I know WWE's about to name their uh, Extreme Rules pay per view the horror show this is the real horror show <laughs> Yano chasing my dog Hiromu around with with some sharp ass fucking scissors like it looked like he was gonna you know put this man's eye out and put him out of the business forever like right. it was scary yeah he ended up taping Hiromu to Yotosuji young lion at ringside. And then he was finally able to, and that's and bro, that's a callback. That's a callback to Mox and Shooter. Yeah, that's, that's how right. he. That's yeah. that's how he got Mox out of the G one. Yeah. So he, he tapes him to Suji. He gets the scissors. He cuts um, a chunk off of Hiromu's hair, and he's so happy and he's uh, celebrating. Uh, they fought to the backs, and you know Suji still taped Hiromu this whole time as they're fighting in the back. And so Hiromu's just kind of you know dragging Suji along on the brawl. Yeah, they, this is this is how I know that Hiromu is a better and smarter, wiser and more resourceful wrestler than John Moxley because he was able to fight through mm. all of the shenanigans that Yano threw his way. Moxley succumbed, just took that L, that big fat <laughs> L. He just took it. So yeah, then Hiromu he uh, used tape to blindfold Yano, tapes him up, and then he pushes him in the elevator. Pushes the elevator to go down or up. Which way? Which direction? I think down. Elevator. It was down. And, yeah. and and here's the funny thing. Before he, like, he didn't push. Think about it. In order to get uh it to go down, and it went down like five floors. Someone had to actually go inside. The man who did that was Suji. Hiromu told Suji to go in there and hit the down button, and he did it. Like, I got a feeling here that Suji might be Hiromu's new shooter. Like that's what mm. this is starting to feel like to me. Yeah, it could be. And so yeah, Yana goes down there, and finally the refs decide to start <laughs> counting, and they get the twenty count. And uh, you know Hiromu and Suji are still you know taped together, so they're they're like hobbling. It's like the three like a race. They're like hobbling and yeah. running back to the ring. And at at nineteen, they finally figured out how to get in the ring at the same time. They jumped in, and then uh, Hiromu wins the match by count out. Yeah, and the great thing with that is the night before. The tag team match obviously ended in a double countout. Easily, this could have happened. And if that had happened, we, we're talking about Ishii going in fresh to a you know semifinal main event. So luckily, we didn't get that uh, you know that result here. These these guys figured out how to get into the ring. They did it successfully, and um, you know another time. So we've got you know. Earlier this night, we've got a story of uh, Ishimori kind of overcoming his demons and beating Kanemaru. And on this night, um, same thing with Hiromu. He was able to overcome his greatest heavyweight test to date in Toriano, and he's you know going on to the quarterfinals against uh, Ishii. Yeah. And it's like, you got to ask yourself, what's scarier, Yano with clippers or Ishii with just <laughs> nothing, just himself? <laughs> Yeah, that's a, it's a close call there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we, we saw Yano with the Clippers, and, and Yano was just pulling these Clippers out of the tights. He had a bunch of them. And obviously the, the first set was a dud, but, but the second set we saw was, was working. So I, I got I to gotta imagine that that was the lawnmower 3.0 that <laughs> Yano pulled out. 
Listen, man, let me tell you something. If it was, in fact, the lawnmower 3.0, the one thing he doesn't have to worry about is battery life because that thing has battery life that is built to go. And thank God he wasn't able to use those clippers on Ishimura or on uh, Hiromu because we saw what he did with just a pair of shears. But had it been the lawnmower 3.0, we'd be talking about a bald ass Hiromu because that's the kind of close, clean shave you, you get when you use. The Lawnmower 3.0. Yes, the Lawnmower 3.0. It's it's the master, just like Toriyano, it's a master of shenanigans. You know, the Manscaped team, they spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is new and improved. Third generation trimmer features a cutting edge trimming blade to reduce manscaping accidents. So no nicks, none of that. The thing of the past. It's premium stuff here. Like you mentioned, 90 minute battery. So if Yano had Hiromu in the ring, he 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 could have went all night and just shaved that man clean. Just like Ric Flair used to say, all night long. <laughs> Ric Flair was a 60-minute man. Well, Manscaped is a 90-minute man because it goes the extra time. It puts in extra time. Yeah, so you can check out Manscaped.com. Use our code SUPLEX. You get 20% off and free shipping. You can be like Toriyano. You can pull out... Lawnmower 3.0 is out of nowhere, and just you never know when you, you face your rival. You might you might want to be like Yana. You might want to shave your rival's head, or you just might want to you know take care of yourself and groom. Either way, you can get the Lawnmower 3.0 for 20 percent off and free shipping by using our code Suplex. Let me tell you guys something. It's the same thing I'm gonna say every single week. This is something that you need to be doing anyways. You need to be grooming. You need to be take, taking care of yourself. And in order to do that, you need the right tools for the trade. And let me tell you, there's nothing else that's on the market in this price range that is going to be as effective for you. And with the deal that we're giving you guys, 20% off plus free shipping, you want to take advantage of it. Because it's just like my friend Floyd Johnson says on his show, clean balls are happy balls. And <laughs> that's what you want. That's what you want is to take care of yourself. Make sure that the you know important people in your life, like your loved one, is also happy with the results. They let me you know trust me. They will be, and um, you know we're hooking you up. So you know support this show. Hook us up. You know go go to manscape.com. They have uh, just so many like really really incredible and great products. You know um, the deodorants and you know the different uh spritzers and even the case that they have is really great they've got the uh the weed whacker for your nose like they're gonna hook you up on every single level and 20 percent off suplex it's that's the code it's toriano approved yeah absolutely (laughs) so we have a few questions here from this match so first from ready user highest fly flow do you guys think we're due one big payoff match between yano and hiromu or should we just leave it here um, you know, I think that this was just a, a, a short story that was, you know, um, established for this tournament at some point in the future. Could I see them uh, playing off of this again? Like possibly, but I feel like this kind of was the payoff to the story. Yeah. Personally. I mean, we, we don't really know how much more times Harum was going to venture off in the heavyweight division this year or even next year. So we might not see them interact very much. I'm sure we might have some chaos, LIJ multi-mans. I think, I think that would be kind of good to do that in those matches uh, to, to add some entertainment to those. But 
yeah, I think this was kind of the big blow off here, and I, and I'm happy if they just kind of leave it here. But yeah, they could do stuff in the future as well. I mean, I mean, how many more times do you want to see the story? Like, it was really great, but uh, it, it would be diminishing returns, you know. I mean, what's the point? Like, Hiromu overcame him; he got the win. Like, I mean, the only thing that they could do that might be more entertaining down the line is give Hiromu the lawnmower 3.0 and let him get come up and since shave Yano's head mm. then, and maybe his eyebrows too. Then, then we're talking about like a true, like Memphis, you know, Jim Crockett style story. I can get behind that. And then, we, we, but I'm, then we book a hair match hair versus hair match. If, if that's the way we want to go, that's the only way that I would be behind them, like giving another payoff. But other than that, you know, this is pretty good. So a question from uh, Josh number two. He says, when Yano emerges from the elevator, how swiftly will he get his revenge? Um, well, I'm sure he's already out of the elevator, and I don't think he has avenged anything. He took his loss. Took that out. Like a man. <laughs> yeah, he took that out. I hope he can see okay. I mean, I don't know what kind of chemicals might have been on that tape, like what kind of long-term damage it might do. Like, it was, I hope his eyes were, were closed shut, you know? Yeah. Uh, next question from Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? Who do you see Hiromu dropping the belt to? Maybe Kawato's return and beats him just like Hiromu did to Kushida. You know, at this point, um, everything is super in flux just because we anticipated the year to go one way. Obviously, with everything that happened with the schedule, that's not the case. And we kind of saw Hiromu take the belt from Will. Will's in the heavyweight division. We saw him cleanly defeat his arch rival in uh ryu lee and we kind of expected after that to kind of see new stories new presentations things of that nature and we haven't really gotten there and this tournament really hasn't produced any sort of um storylines for the junior title as well the only thing that i'm holding out hope for fingers crossed maybe we get maybe like right now the match between him and ishii we kind of spark the the mm. Ishii Junior title division run that I've been talking about <laughs> for years, but more realistically, it's probably not happening. So the only thing that I can think of is either yeah, Kawato making his return um, as the Grandmaster might be the impetus for them to lift the belt, uh, sort of like what they did when Hiromu originally made his return. Um, I gotta imagine whoever the Grandmaster is, if he's a junior, it's gonna be a big deal because they only give these kind of title uh, you know title packages you know, and, and return packages for people that are pretty important. Right. The other thing though, is if super juniors does end up running, that might give us a lot more insight as to potential title challengers and somebody that might even be able to take the belt off of Hiromu. It's just unfortunate that up to this point, we've only gotten one title defense from Hiromu. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, do you want to, you know, keep the belt on him so he can have a better reign and have more defenses or do you just kind of, you know, advanced storylines kind of move along. Uh, I think El Esperado is a name. We know we saw him here against ECE in the first round, New Japan Cup. I think he's a guy that could potentially lift the title off Harumu. They kind of have a history and a rivalry, and they could kind of relaunch that rivalry and have them maybe go back and forth with the belt or just have a rivalry over the title the remainder of the year. Possible, yeah. So now we're going to move on to the main event of this evening. We had Kazuchika Okada taking on Blue Justice, Yuji Nagata. Uh, so this is a match where I think it's going to be a little divisive here because although I liked this match, 
Um, I've got some problems with it. And I think that this is a match that you essentially you really liked, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was a great, a great main event. Okay, so tell me, you know, uh, maybe you can persuade me. Uh, kind of tell me what you saw in this match, and you know what your opinions were, and you know why you liked it so much. Yeah, so once again with Nagata, I, I think it was a, a very hard hitting match, and him just putting in a great effort here. Um, and then you, you just had this story of Okada. Kind of similar to like the Shingo um, show story where Okada's kind of taking Nagata lightly and, you know, he's kind of wrestling, you know, the Okada match and kind of out wrestling him and uh, kind of has the advantage there. And then Nagata comes back and really fires up and is like, you know, I'm not going down this easily and really fires up. And he's, you know, throwing the heart, the strong style. He's throwing the suplexes, the exploders, um, you know, he's really fighting back, you know, near submissions with the Nagata lock and, you know, just really coming back from behind and kind of just showing that fighting spirit and kind of, you know, kind of being that, you know, old guns, gunslinger and showing, you know, he still has a few bullets left and he's trying to, you know, go out on his, on his sword here and, you know, not giving up. Yeah, so this, I, I agree with the story. Um, and I, one, one nice little touch is uh, Nagata came out with the robe, uh, which I don't, remember the last time he kind of came out with his robe uh, mm-hmm. it's been a while it seems like so there was sort of that idea that like he was kind of trying to turn back the clock i did do some research i think on the show we've said multiple times that these guys have only wrestled each other like one other time but i found that maybe it was more like two other times mm. but in any case um okada only Okada is the only one who has any wins in the series between these two guys. And they've only faced each other uh, in like G1 competition. So uh, great matches in the past, but you know, few and far between these are not two guys that are very familiar with one another, but it's an interesting match because you've got the, the aging ace of the past in Yuji Nagata. And then the current, you know, ace of the company, you know, the top guy in Kazushika Okada and, um, you know, there's a compelling story that's there, obviously. I liked this match. I watched it after I'd heard a lot of buzz and a lot of praise for it. And that might have kind of been my undoing, just a, 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 a tad bit. But here's the thing about it. I thought this match was a little overly long. And I thought that the style of wrestling they were doing was very good. But I didn't think it was very good for Empty Arena. And I thought it was something that would have played extremely well to a crowd. But without the crowd, this one was hard. This was a main event that was hard for me to actually invest into or get into. Um, I thought it was your classic professional wrestling match. I just think it was. I thought that this was your big match house style, New Japan style wrestling match. And it didn't, to me, play very well in an empty arena. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it, it played well. I just thought they did a great job with the story, and I love the callback to the, the backdrop suplex. Like, Okada goes for the Rainmaker. The guy quickly hits the backdrop suplex. The difference here is he wasn't able to get the hole in the bridge like he was with Suzuki. So I think that you yeah. know, that one thing there cost him from winning the match. And um, just Nagata selling when he was stuck in the, the head and arm triangle the first time. Like, I thought that was going to be the, the finish there. But, you know, he was selling so great and, and ended up fighting out of that. Um, then, he, then when he, he finally got caught a second time, just the selling there, and finally before he tapped out, you know, he was fighting really hard to hold on, and, but had to tap out. Yeah, and 
I don't want my criticisms to sound like I'm diminishing the match or anything of that nature. I still thought it was very good, but I saw people talking about one of the top matches of the entire tournament, and I think it was not quite there, personally. Um, but yeah, I think all the story elements that you mentioned are what elevated the match for me, what kind of kept me invested. But the actual pace and tone of the match is sort of what... It was just a little too slow for my t- for my taste. It had that big, epic, main event style feel that you get from a from an Okada match, and I don't think it played well to empty arena. Personally, I just don't. That's my feeling on it. Um, I could be wrong, but um, you know, overall, I kind of have to wonder if Okada's style of match is going to translate well. Like, I don't know, man. I've got this feeling. I'm not saying Okada's going to win, but let me just throw this scenario out there for you. Okada wins. We get Okada Naito. No crowd. How good does that sound to you? Well, there, there will be a crowd for Okada Naito. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Well, let's just imagine there wasn't for sake of my argument. <laughs> let's imagine Okada Naito played out in front of no crowd. I don't, I don't think that match is very good. Yeah. Maybe it's, or maybe it's kind of good, but I don't know, man. That's just... Uh, I saw a lot of fours. I would have gone like three and a half on this. Yeah, I've seen kind of yeah a lot of three and a halfs. I was more in the four star range here. I thought it was a great solid main event, great way to close the show off, and that's uh, another kind of good outing for Yuji Nagata. I will say that, um, not to take anything away from Okada because Okada is great always, um, and I think in front of a crowd, in front of a crowd, I think this match would have been really good, really really good. I think this this match was made for a crowd is my problem. But Nagata's been fantastic. And I thought that uh, Nagata was especially really captivating and compelling in this match. And we kind of got two sides of him. You know, we saw the kind of ass kicker and, you know, badass that he can be in the Suzuki match. But then we kind of got to see the classic traditional wrestler that Nagata has been and still is in this match with Okada. And his selling and his timing, his pacing, it was all just really, really great. Um, yeah, I thought he shined like a star here. Nice. Well, that's going to transition us. So June is pretty much over for action, and we can actually do a wrestler of the month and match of the month again. This is the first time since February we have had a wrestler of the month and match of the month. And so, speaking of Yuji Nagata, Yuji Nagata is going to be the Keeping a Strong Style June Wrestler of the Month with his performance against Suzuki and his performance against Okada, uh, you know, having a main event match there and just, you know, just putting out a great effort and, you know, being one of the standouts in the first two rounds. Yeah, I mean, there's some other ways we could have gone. Show obviously put on an incredible performance and had the biggest win of his career against Shingo. But that was one match. Uh, and then thinking of other options, you know, Ishii was very high on the list, as he normally is. Um, he was kind of the top performer in last year's uh, um, New Japan Cup, and he's continued to have a fantastic performance this year. The match was uh, with Desperado, and then the match with uh, Makabe, both standouts, but... I do think that the Nagata match with Suzuki sort of transcends both of those matches. And that's a big deal, especially at 52 for Nagata and for him to get a big upset win. And then him to be in there for 20 minutes with, you know, the top guy in the company, that tells you a lot. And just 
vintage, really great performances from Nagata. And he, yeah, I think he's the standout for the month of June. Yep. And so then we have the match of the month. And this one, we had we had a heated debate on this one. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people had their favorites in their top matches. And it came down to, it came down to Nagata and Suzuki and Sho versus Shingo. Um, Nagata versus Suzuki was your favorite match. Show versus Shingo was my favorite match. Uh, but I think we came to the decision that the match of the month will be Show versus Shingo. So here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. Um, back in February, I wanted Osprey and Zack Sabre Jr. Jeremy wanted Dragon Lee versus Hiromu. I acquiesced and we named the match of the month Hiromu <laughs> versus Dragon Lee. And now in June, I wanted Nagata Suzuki. Jeremy has chosen Shoshingo, so I'm going to go ahead and prefer him and name Shoshingo as well. But that means I have bent the knee on two occasions <laughs> here, and I just want the record to show. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, there was any sort of like oversight here or these were bad choices, I would fight vehemently against them. But Shoshingo was so fantastic – and so is Nagata Suzuki. It, it, you're talking, I mean, it, it's a toss-up, literally. It's yeah, one it's, A and one B. It's splitting hairs, yeah. It, it is splitting hairs. It's negligible. We did put out – now, I do want to throw this out there. You threw out a, po- uh, a poll on Twitter asking for people to name their favorite match of the first round. And Shoshingo did well, but it did lose by like a vote or two yeah, by 1%. to Nagata Suzuki. Yeah. So I just want to throw that out there. But um, <laughs> let's talk about Shoshingo real quick. Just fantastic, man. Just fantastic, hard-hitting, drama-filled, biggest upset of the first round. Um, I loved it. I can't wait for them to do it again. Hopefully they'll be doing it again you know, at Dominion or sometime soon. Um, we've been on the show Shingo bandwagon since Shingo came to this company day one. And that was kind of always the match to make. And, you know, once it finally ha- happened, it was fantastic. And now that's happened again, it's just as good. I love it. Yeah, great story. You know, we got the, the rivalry, you know, their the tag rivalry of Shingo and Bushi against Rapunky 3K, which built into Best of Super Juniors when they had their first singles match. And, you know, that whole story leading into this match and just show was like a man possessed. He wanted to do anything possible to finally beat Shingo and prove that he can beat Shingo and be on his level. And that's going to open the door, like we said, to a potential never open weight title match, hopefully at Dominion. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to these guys wrestling again. Yeah, it's really cool how they're using Sh- Shingo as a uh, a tool and a goalpost, like a marker for show to kind of uh, measure himself and his improvements against. You know, like Shingo is the goal for show. Yeah. Which is really awesome. So, yeah, I love that story. Heavily invested. I can't wait for them to do it again. Nice. So now we're going to just quickly preview the upcoming New Japan Cup nights. So night six will be taking place on July 1st. We have more second round action here. So first up, let's talk about Taichi versus Kota Ibushi. And a friend of the show, Zach Porter, asked, by which method do you think, do you both think Taichi will beat that bum Ibushi on Wednesday? Stretch Plum or Black Mephisto? You know, okay, first off, I don't really like the tone or just general attitude of this question whatsoever. <laughs> um, 
we might need to put Zach Porter on question timeout uh, for a little while. <laughs> no, but it, um, I got to tell you, I think that there's a really good chance that Taichi actually does beat Kota Bushi. <laughs> I mean, I think so too, because, you know, they're, they're trying to set up that tag title match. And yes, you know, um, Kanahashi did lose to Taichi already, so you kind of have a little stake there. But yeah, if Taichi beats Abushi as well, it's like, all right, well, I just beat both half the tag champions. Me and Zach, if I don't win this New Japan Cup, me and Zach need to get tagged out in the match. Yeah, I when I was booking everything on, um, I had kind of at one point booked Abushi to beat Taichi because I remember Abushi and Sonata having really good matches during the G One. And I thought, you know, Abushi would be the perfect guy for Sonata to get past, you know, to have some credibility, yada, yada. But then if you think about it, if Taichi is coming off of a win over both Tanahashi and Abushi, that's, that's huge for raising his stock individually. Not only does it uh, create a lot of tension and doubt for the fact that maybe Dangerous Techers could beat the Golden Aces, and given the history of that tag division – they really could just lift the belts. Like, I know a lot of people are counting on this really long, lengthy Golden Aces run. Bro, we have no idea. Like, they 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 hot potato that title around all the time. They might just put the titles on Tai Chi and, <laughs> and Zach. Like, right. you, you don't know. But um, I don't see Tai Chi going to the finals of this thing. But what a what a boost that would be for him individually to have gotten back to back singles wins over Tanahashi. And Kota Ibushi, you know, mm-hmm. and I think we were already on this sort of like track and trajectory last year. I don't know if you remember we uh, we we were in a group chat last year talking about Tai Chi being in the G one, and I had kind of I think at one point early on I said it wasn't impossible for him to beat John Moxley, and like everyone was freaking out because. You know, a lot of people that we interact with kind of see Tai Chi as what he was a couple years ago and don't realize that this company has been really putting a rocket pack on him for a long time, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe I was a little like, like we say, we're always ahead. I might have been a little far, like too far ahead in saying that he could beat John Moxley because everyone was like, that's ridiculous. And I was like, <laughs> eh, it's not that far off. But now look at where we're at, like half a year later, maybe a year later. Taichi just beat Tanahashi. I think he's going to beat Ibushi. And a few weeks ago, I wouldn't have probably booked that, but now I think he might. Yeah, I, I'm thinking Taichi gets the win here. And yeah, you you elevate Taichi, you give him you know bragging rights for a tag title match and other title matches in the future. Um, yeah, I think Taichi's the way to go here. And you know, beating Kota Ibushi would do a lot for Sonata, obviously. You know. Um, but in the vacuum of the tournament, what's more impressive? Beating Tai Chi coming off of back-to-back victories over the Golden Aces or Abushi coming off of a victory over Tai Chi? You know what I mean? Right. Like, because people, at that point, if he be, if, if he beats Tai Chi, it doesn't really do Abushi a lot of favors. Right. Everyone kind of expects that. But if Tai Chi beats those guys, he's surging, and you know? That, and that gives you a... A chance to think that he can be beat Sonata or Show, and who knows? It's not like he couldn't. Right. I mean, I think that's a better story. I wish I would have booked it on my 
bracket. I think this that that whole top region is busting my bracket entirely. I think Tai Chi's beating Kotobushi. I don't know if it's going to be Stretch Plum or Black Mephisto. I think it's going to be some sort of cheating way, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, I think he's I think he's going to win. Yeah, we will pro- we'll probably see Tanahashi and Saber as seconds in this match, and I'm sure there'll be some kind of shenanigans and ref bump interference that'll eventually lead to you know Tai Chi getting the win. Good call. What if um, Abushi turns on Tanahashi and uh, Suzuki hands the mantle over to him and it becomes a Bushi goon? Uh, I think that's highly unlikely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the next match of the round, we have Sonata versus Sho. Um, Interesting matchup. Um, We've got a junior who just beat a heavyweight taking on, you know, proven commodity in this tournament and, you know, heavy favorite to win the tournament in uh, Seiya Sonata. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting matchup, and yeah, Show kind of brings, even though he's a junior, he kind of wrestles that, that strong style, never style, so I think he's going to be, you know, the heavier striker between him and Sonata, but also I think Sonata might have a little bit of a speed advantage and just a, a technical wrestling, you know, more kind of escapes and holds, and he's going to have to be the one to kind of slow Showdown, not eat a lot of damage from the strikes. I will say this. I want to be consistent. Last week, I was kind of critical about the trajectory of Okada to hypothetically get to the tournament finals, right? And I still think that that's a high likelihood. Well, let's look at Sonata's trajectory real quick. If he does go all the way, he's going to have to have gone through a junior in Ryazuki Taguchi, who's not even like at the top of the juniors, and then Sho, who granted, yes, Sho is great, but Sho's not at the top of the juniors either. Yes, he did get a big win, but it was an upset, and he's still a junior. And then he's probably going up against Tai Chi, which you know we already kind of voiced just a few moments ago. The perceptions on Tai Chi, and then after that, like he might have his one true like heavy like person but i mean it's either gonna be goto evil bushi yoshihashi this is not like zack saber going through you know (laughs) (laughs) all the aces all those aces two years ago in the tournament like if sonata and okada end up fighting each other in the finals which it looks like it might be they will have had two of the easiest paths that i can ever recall in a new japan cup ever to get there it's rigged which is which is, yeah, it might be a little <laughs> <rigged>. <laughs> Um I don't know what to expect from Sonata Show, though, as a match. Like, it does, it looks intriguing, but more so from a curiosity standpoint, not from an expectation standpoint. I know they both have the goods to go, but I don't know what that match looks like. I have, I've got no idea. Yeah, they have two very different styles, and they, they might not mesh well, especially in an empty arena setting. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. The big thing, though, is Sonata is definitely beating Show. There is absolutely one. I would like bet my life on it. That's how sure I am of it. Sonata is not losing the show, unfortunately. So we're definitely getting Sonata against either Ibushi or Taichi next. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Then next up, we have Bushi versus Yoshihashi. Um, I don't have much to say here. Like, I don't have high expectations at all. I know these guys both had good showings in the last, uh, you know, like round. Um, but this just looks like it's not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's Bushi Yoshihashi. I mean, 
You know what I mean? Like yeah. they are the they are the counterparts of one another in their collective stables. So um, Bushi's the junior. He's losing to Yoshihashi. I feel pretty confident about that. Yeah, I'm pretty confident as well. Yeah, he's gonna eat a uh, karma or get locked in that stupid butterfly lock, and Yoshihashi will move on. And then here's the one. Um, you know, Goto Evil. That's a little bit harder to call. Um, this will probably be match of the night. Goto and Evil, you know, are two bruisers, heavy hitting, heavy hitters. We've seen them wrestle one another several times in the past. Um, sometimes it's underwhelmed, but for the most part, I think that they always have like pretty compelling matches against one another. So I expect them to kind of perform well, given it's a main event, you know, opportunity for both of these guys. I, I think on my bracket, I've got Evil going over, but I think Goto's going through. Gotcha. I think on my bracket, I also have Evil. I think this is one of those where it could go either way. I think the main yeah. reason why I went with Evil is then you get that uh, Evil-Sonata matchup in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I was kind of counting on there to be a lot of tension and a sort of uh, storyline revolving around LIJ. And I mean, they've alluded to it briefly, during one of the tags, but for the most part, it's sort of a non-story, if you want my honest opinion. So I don't really think we're getting the evil Sonata finish anymore, personally. I think it is going to be Goto. And I think part of the reason why is because Goto has won this tournament more times than anybody else. He's a proven commodity. He kind of probably could actually use, uh, you know, like Goto and Evil are sort of in the same spot. Like they both could use it, so I'm not saying neither of them couldn't use it. But Goto's probably the guy that, like, they'll have Sonata beat to go to the finals, in my opinion. Yeah, makes sense. Again, yeah, I think I think it can go either way. Um, I'm He's a, the safer bet. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stick with Evil. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm looking for that Evil-Sonata semifinal. I, would, I think I would prefer an Evil versus Sonata match because at least at that point we've got partners who are familiar with one another, and I can sink my teeth into that a little more. But I just feel like... For as many big upsets they do in this tournament, they love to do safe booking, and there's nothing safer than giving Goto a semifinal run to you know face Sonata. That sounds like that sounds like some serious ass Gato booking, does it not? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, excitement level for this for this uh, you know for this night. What are you thinking? Uh, you know, I think it'll be a fine night. Um... You know, with, with Tai Chi and Ibushi, just all depends which Tai Chi we get. Like, if we get big match Tai Chi, like, that could end up being uh, a pretty good match. Uh, but if it's going to be continued shenanigans, it, it might not be that great. And, yeah, overall, I think it, it has potential to be a, a pretty good night. All right. So, for the rest of these reviews, night seven and night eight, we've got a couple confirmed matches. But for the most of it, it's going to be speculation on our part. So, uh let's see so far so far during this tournament we have done a pretty good job speculating i think i went 13 and 3 during the first uh during the first portion like the first round of the bracket i think you did as well Mm -hmm. and so we're pretty close um and i think we can get pretty close to what is probably going to happen here as well yes and speaking of the brackets and the bracket contest we still have one perfect bracket Oh jeez! <laughs> Out of and, and <laughs> go ahead. Do they have do they have Sonata versus Okada as the final? 
that's the one thing. I, I don't think they don't. I'd have to, have to double check. But as of because if if they went Hiromu Sonata, they probably lost. Yeah, I think they went Hiromu Sonata. Oh, uh, so <laughs> did I. So did I. But yeah, Jeez. so as of right now, yeah, still one perfect bracket. So competition huh, is, is stiff right now. All right, <laughs> awesome. So um, on night seven, July second, we've got two confirmed quarterfinal matchups, um, and then two that are not confirmed yet. So how do you want to do this? So let's talk about the two confirmed. So let's start with Taiji Ishimori and Kazuchika Okada. So this is a match that on paper, um, some people are probably kind of looking at it and like, oh, well, it's Okada versus a junior, so you know exactly what's going to happen. And I agree with that sentiment. But this is one of the truly fun and compelling aspects to this inclusion of juniors in this uh, tournament. The fact that we are getting unique interesting matchups that we would just never ever get any other time of the year and i mean that's a cool ass match ishimori versus okada we've seen what uh, okada can do with other juniors uh the match with marty Skrull at all in kind of comes to mind um not saying that this would be that because that was a an epic like 35 40 minute match but dude ishimori he's been looking re- like we had i had some complaints about him prior to uh prior to the layoff because he kind of was looking banged up and wasn't like wrestling the way he had before. But since the return, he's looked silky smooth. He looks like the Ishimori of old. And I think he's got a chip on his shoulder, something to prove going up against, you know, the ace of the company in Okada. And I think that he's probably going to look to make this a breakout performance for him. And um, it's one of those, like just a match that looks really, really fun and interesting. Yeah, definitely agree with you. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this match kind of plays out. Yeah, I think this is, this is kind of a, kind of a big moment for Taiji, and yeah, I think he's another guy that's benefited from time off. I know he got banged up during Best of Super Juniors last year and never really fully got to 100%, and you know, kind of stuck in the tag team division with ELP. You know, he was kind of able to work a little bit of a lighter, um, you know, match style. But yeah, you know, he seems to be 100% now and having some good matches. So yeah, this match with Okada could be you know a big breakout for him. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. And um, are there any chances? I mean, what what are your expectations? Could we see an upset here from Ishimori? Um, I, I don't think so. I think it'll be a good back and forth match. But um, at the end of the day, it's going to be um, Kazuchika Okada hitting a Rainmaker one, two, three, and putting away Taiji Ishimori. Okay, awesome. So after that, we've got the big expected match between um, Tomohiro Ishii and Hiromu. This is sort of a dream match. Uh, you know, Jeremy, what are your thoughts with that one? Yeah, so I think this one is definitely, you know, one to circle as one of the top matches of the tournament. Um, I think it's going to be um, it's a great back and forth action. You know, we've, we've kind of seen a little bit of kind of comedy Hiromu with the Yano and even. In the Hanma match, even though that was a little bit more of a serious match, we still saw kind of a little a playful side of Hiromu in that match. And so I think this is we're going to kind of get, you know, serious kind of, you know, ticking time bomb killer Hiromu in this match. And I think it's going to be a great back and forth. I think we're going to kind of see something very similar to what we saw with Ishii and Desperado, where um, Ishii is, um, you know, giving a lot to Hiromu and making it look believable that, um, Hiromu could beat him. Yeah, this is one that I am expecting to just 
literally be a banger. Um, I, I can't explain how excited I am for this. This was the one thing that when I was looking at the brackets, I just said to myself, like, this looks on paper to be one of the most compelling matchups possible. And, um, you know, there's just certain things that had to fall into place in order for it to happen. And I'm so glad that it is finally happening. And I can't wait for, for this match to take place. Yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. So now for the two quarterfinal matches that we don't know yet. So based off of our kind of booking here. So, well, well before we get there, what, what are your predictions? Because we didn't talk about that. So, I mean, we know the match is going to be great. I think it might be a match of the year contender. That's how confident I am of, of the two people, you know, participating. But we're looking at, based on our projections, the winner facing Okada in the semifinal. But are we looking at an interstable match between Ishii and Okada? Or, you know, Hiromu's a junior. Is he going to be able to win? A, I mean, he's beaten two heavyweights here, but Ishii is an established, serious, multi-time champion at heavyweight. Like, is it even feasible that Hiromu could beat him? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, with the, the size is not really that much of a difference, honestly, between those two guys. Um, and it, it could be one of those things where maybe Hiromu pulls up. It's maybe it's not like a definitive win, but it's like a schoolboy or some kind of, you know, lucha cradle that he kind of rolls up Ishii with. Um, so I, I do think there is a chance. I just I don't know how strong of a chance it is. But I think the more intriguing thing would be for Hiromu to beat Ishii and then we get this Hiromu Okada uh, semifinal match in which, you know, Okada has to beat an LIJ guy to get to the finals. Yeah. And here's the thing. Um, you know, so a few different scenarios just to kind of play them out. So you've got Ishii. Ishii, um, if he does go through, he's going to be fighting his, you know, stable mate in Okada. Those two guys actually had one of the best matches of the tournament the year prior um, when they faced off against one another. Um, Okada obviously picked up the win there and ultimately won the tournament overall. But prior to that, Ishii had defeated Okada about two or three, maybe even three or four years ago in the G1 when Okada was the world champion. And they were stablemates at that time as well. Ishii never got a shot at that title. And Ishii recently, during one of the Together Project, uh, you know, videos, was talking to Okada, and he said, "When you win the title, are you ever going to give me that rematch?" Mm. <laughs> so there is kind of a playful story there, and the fact that like Ishii has beaten IWGP champions in G1s multiple times and never actually gotten, aside from the Kenny Omega match, hasn't really gotten his chance to to get a rematch specifically against Okada. So, you know, there is that thought there that's like, are they even going to go that way? Because they are stablemates, they have history, but we saw it last year. And if we are getting Okada Sonata hypothetically, do you want to go rematch and then another rematch? That seems kind of like overkill. Mm -hmm. Also, there is the idea that like, think about it, if Ishii goes through, Maybe he should win. And if he were to win, he is actually the one person that that Naito, prior to this reign, he's the one person that Naito had ever successfully 
defended the IWGP title against in the past. So they have a lot of, and we already know Naito and Ishii have a lot of history with one another. So I don't know if they do that again, you know? So it just kind of seems like for those reasons, it, it, it might not be the right way for them to go with Ishii. But on the other end of things, if you end up with a Hiromu versus um, Okada match, then you're talking about the ace of the company facing off against the IWGP junior champion. And we kind of have always seen how those style matches play out in the past. Last year when Will Ospreay was in the G1 as the junior champion, a lot of people were very behind Will and thought, oh, this is his chance to get a big upset win. This is, and it would have been like the only time that the junior champion beat, you know, at the time Okada was the IWGP champion, but um, there is a history where the junior champion might not beat the IWGP champion, but they have beaten top draws. One name that comes to mind specifically is Fergal Deffitt. In the past, during G1s, he has defeated guys like Okada and Tanahashi when they were not the champion. Right. So there is a precedent there that even though normally if now if Okada was champion, I would say absolutely no way Hiromu can't beat him. But because in the past, like Prince Devitt, when he was getting his super push, had beaten those guys and in some cases clean, there is a chance that Hiromu could hypothetically beat Okada. I, I would love to see it. It'd be interesting. So, uh, yeah, I think that I mean, obviously, those are the two ways we're going. We're either getting Ishii and Okada or we're getting Hiromu Okada. Um, I mean, what are, what are you leaning more towards? What do you think's happening? Uh, I'm going to go with Okada and Hiromu. Just like you mentioned, you don't want to do double rematches if we're getting Okada Sonata, which I think we are. Um, so I think that would be the, the kind of fresh matchup there. And, yeah, have Hiromu pull another upset over Tomohiro Ishii and then go against Okada. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. On the left side of the bracket, we have projections for Hiromu Takahashi to beat Tomohiro Ishii. And then we have Kazushiko Okada going over uh, Ishimori to set up a big semifinal match between those two gentlemen. Right, which, which would happen on July 3rd. Yep. And I think I would I put on my bracket, I had put Hiromu going to the finals, but I had projected him beating Nagata. It's much harder for me to believe he is going to beat Okada. It is not impossible. But I got to tell you, because the story that I think they're telling, I don't think he's going to beat Okada. And I think we're going to see Okada win that side of the bracket. I agree. Yeah. So, All right. So let, let's talk about the projections on the other side. Right. So so coming off of that night one or night six on July 1st, we're thinking Taichi's getting that win over Ibushi. It's not a game that went over show, so then we have a Tai Chi and Sonata quarterfinal match. Well, I want to say this. We, we both believe Sonata's winning. I think what we both believe as well is that whether it's Ibushi or Tai Chi, neither of them are, are beating Sonata. Correct. And I think the main catalyst for our belief in that is that the winner of this tournament is probably going to, well, will be going on to face Naito at, uh, what is it, Osaka Jahal? Yeah, Dominion. A Dominion. So for that reason, you kind of have to have either Ibushi or Taichi eliminated from the tournament because they can't be, you know, involved in some sort in, in a tournament final and then even a title match 
um, that would kind of detract from the potential tag title match that they have going on. So I think it makes all the sense in the world for Sonata to beat either one of those two. I think it's going to be Taichi. Um, So we're kind of projecting Sonata to beat Taichi, right? You're right. Okay. And then what are we looking at on the other side of things? So we have Yoshihashi beating Bushi, and then you were thinking Goto was going to get the win. I was thinking Evil was going to get the win. Either yeah, this or is where, this I, is where it gets iffy. Yeah, either or. I think Goto or Evil will beat Yoshihashi. Yeah, nothing sounds less compelling than having Sonata. When we talked about easy routes to the finals, can you imagine if bro? Can you imagine how? how up in arms people would be if he went through two juniors and then Tai Chi and then Yoshihashi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, get the, get the whole fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, people would not be down with that. So it's got to be Yoshihashi because he's going up against a junior. Boom. And then it's either going to be Goto or Evil. And in either case, I think Goto or Evil are beating Yoshihashi. Right. When you look at the projections – whether it is Ishii or Okada or Hiromu in the finals, I cannot see any situation where any three of those guys end up fighting either Evil or Goto. Right. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, there is an argument that if you really wanted to put a strap on, on Evil that you could go with him, but then my argument against that would be why did they put him in the weakest region of the entire tournament with the mo- least compelling matchups for him? So that would tell me right there that they're not doing that. And for that reason, Sonata is beating either Goto or Evil. Right. So, yeah, I think we'll, I don't know, I'm thinking we're going to get Sonata versus Evil, and then Sonata beats Evil to get to the finals. I would prefer Sonata versus Evil, but I think it's Goto. But if it ends up being Sonata Evil, I would be happily incorrect in this matter i'm just kind of going with the safe bet i I got a little too cute when i try to book okada to lose (laughs) in the first round of this tournament (laughs) i got a little upset happy and i was wrong for that but uh in this case i'm gonna just go safe and say goto but that means we are thinking at the end of it all it is either going to be sonata okada or sonata hiromu yeah so yeah Bro, we were not pre- we were not far off with the way that this thing played out. Yeah, we we, did, we were pretty accurate on on booking this thing out. But this yeah. is a hard tournament to book. Yeah, but I, I'm thinking with the story that they've been telling and what they normally do with New Japan Cups, I do think Okada Sonata is going to be the finals that we get for this tournament. Yeah, if you uh, they actually recently released a very good video that had the history of the New Japan Cup, and if you watch it. Kind of similar to what we had mentioned when we did our series on the final countdown uh, with the Super Juniors. It's not that uncommon for them to have finalists from previous tournaments go and be finalists once again and even sometimes win. Pretty common theme uh, that ran through the New Japan Cup through the, you know, early iterations and has kind of continued. And Sonata, if you notice, uh, back in 2018, he got to the semifinals and then uh, – or like the quarter – like was it the semifinals? Yeah. He ended up in the semifinals and he ended up losing to Zack Sabre. And then last year, he ended up in the actual finals and lost to Okada. And so now, like the only thing left for him to do is like to actually win the tournament. Right. 
And so it feels like that's the story that they're telling. And you have a compelling story either way. You either have Okada getting ready to reclaim his throne and, you know, get the big rematch. And that would be a huge match if they did choose to do it in Osaka Joe Hall, even though it's a third capacity. I mean, they just did that in January. It's a big story. You know, it'd be very compelling, and they could hypothetically do it again. But then you got Sonata, the one guy in the in Lij who has no titles, who's kind of like the black sheep right now, and you know that that'd be a big story too. So either way, you've you've got something there. I think that's what they're doing, and I I, I feel a little um, disappointed by that because I wanted Hiromu and Naito. Like deep down, that's what I wanted. And I was hoping that's what we were getting. Yeah, so I was hoping we were getting too. Especially, you know, they did such a great job teasing that throughout this whole uh, quarantine pandemic break, and with the interviews on the Kevin Project and some other videos that Hiromu was doing. I was hoping that they would do something cool here and kind of give us that Hiromu Naito match. But it looks like they're kind of sticking with the original story that they had planned and going with Sonata um, beating Okada and then doing Sonata Naito. Now, if if they're not cowards and they want to truly be innovative, then they have um, Hiromu win against Okada, and then he beats Sonata, and then he beats Naito. And then <laughs> <laughs> oh my and gosh, then, Hiromu three belts! Re- and then we made a real star. <laughs> that's oh. that's the only thing. Like I my. My biggest problem with Hiromu is like I wanted Hiromu to go all the way through, but he can't beat Okada because if he beats Okada and Sonata, then at that point the power structure and the entire hierarchy of New Japan is thrown off like kilter. There's no way he can lose to Naito at that point. He has to beat Naito. Right. So, and I don't see that happening. So that's my that's the only problem. Nice. Well, looking forward to you know this week's actions, July first, second, third here and. Yeah, seeing how this thing uh, plays out. So, absolutely, and it looks like we've got a whole bunch of questions, um, you know, from you know our listeners. Yep, and one I want to read first just actually just came in from Reddit user Rambone Slam Pig. He said, "Oh, nice. What are the chances we get a Lucha de Apuestas match for the blow off between Yano and Hiromu? How would Yano look bald?" Bro, ahead. <laughs> Hashtag ahead. Yeah, that was. Exa- is he listening? Are, are we like on a Patreon exclusive, like live? The listeners are like, are are you, bro? Did you set up a live feed for this right now that that you're taking payments for that I don't know about? No, I, I did not, sir. We're. I don't think we're ready for a live audience right now, bro. We could do live. We we do this all in one take every week. <laughs> like very little editing whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Rambo was listening live. Just luckily, uh, timing here. <laughs> no, yeah, I I think that would be a really funny idea. Um, but I don't know. Like he's he's also the junior champion. I'd like to see them focus on him actually defending that belt. But I, yeah, it'd be it'd be cool. Yeah, Yano would. Uh, well, I mean, he's he's had his head shaved. Yano's before. been bald before. Yeah, yeah, we've seen him bald. He looked fine. Yeah. So if they do it, he yeah. looks like a real shooter. <laughs> he has to take that L and shave the head. Um, he also asks, is there any scuttlebutt about some of the NJPW talent who are stranded in America like Kenta, Juice, Jay White, etc. appearing for future episodes of Lions Break Collision? Is this going to be an ongoing show or just a few episodes? We don't know if it's going to be ongoing. It does appear that this is like a one-time taping that they're kind of exploring their options. 
I wouldn't be surprised if, and I don't think it'll work, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to do this as maybe some sort of way to uh, interest maybe like a television party and show them like, hey, we can produce television in the States. But now would seem like to be the worst time to do it. And the talent that they're using is absolutely, for the most part, not New, New Japan talent. So it would also be a, a probably a bad representation of what New Japan even is. But something just because they literally are usually so bad at reading the market and the trends in North America, something tells me that maybe that's what this is. You know what I mean? Like this right. is kind of like a, a pilot. Um, I, oh, but as far as the guys on the East Coast, so the guys in Florida and New York and stuff like that, I found out – like I was listening to Tama's Island again, shout out to that podcast, and he was saying that they literally had no idea that they are even doing these tapings. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, he was surprised. Like he found out when we and, found out. Yeah, they found out when we found out, and he was like, bro, maybe – he's like, maybe we'll do something on the East Coast because those West, guy, West Coast guys aren't even telling us what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Who knows? Maybe in the future they'll, they'll be included. But you know, with the tra- with everything that's happening with COVID and the travel restrictions – there might not be an opportunity for guys to travel to California and to, you know, to, to, to go to the dojo and all that. Like, I don't think that's feasible. Well. Yeah. So yeah, those guys might just be stuck for right now in Florida. Hey, but if they want to run a Florida show, call your boys. We would love to be involved with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll help spread the word. Yeah, we know some workers. We know some <laughs> spots. We can get you a ring. Like, we can make that shit happen real quick. <laughs> uh, so, moving on to the next question here from Reddit user PSAN91. It says, I live in Osaka and was able to get tickets to the New Japan Cup final and Dominion the next day. For Dominion, I have a pretty good idea what the card might look like. What do you think the card for the New Japan Cup finals looks like? Do you think we will get lots of tags in the final match, like G1 finals? Or do you think we'll get some title matches on the show? Anyway, I'm looking forward to being live in attendance for both the New Japan Cup Finals and Dominion. I'll have to share my experience with you guys after the shows. I think it's possible that we might get one title match at the New Japan Cup Finals. And then the majority of it looks like preview matches for the next night. But if I was betting, I'd probably say that most of the major matches will be uh, held at Dominion. And it will probably just be like a G1 final, like a lot of preview matches and then the final. Yeah, maybe I, maybe a special singles match. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, with such little time to, you know, build programs, a lot of the programs have been built within this tournament. So you, you really have a lot of time to, you know, do extra stuff. And, you know, Dominion's a big show. you got to have big matches on that show. So, yeah, I think we're going to get a bunch of, you know, tags, six-man, eight-man tags that all kind of build towards Dominion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next question comes from Jay Spammer in the Discord. He says, everyone's focused on a new leader for Suzuki-gun, but what do you think about Sonata Japan? <laughs> so he kind of takes over the, the Seki-gun, the Hantai unit? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would kind of be funny. I feel like if Sonata leaves, um, like in all seriousness, if he leaves LIJ, I think he kind of has to be a heel. Yeah, um, I mean, I think he, he could be a face, but I feel like it would be a more of like a betrayal kind of thing where he like turned his back on those guys. I don't see that being an amicable thing. Like, you know, what kind of great story can you tell from that? Well, 
Sonata did all he could do here, and he just felt like he needed to move on to grow. We wish him the best in his future endeavors. Maybe we'll see him down the road. What? <laughs> and then he's just a good guy? No. Could, like, he, he would have to leave and be a bad guy. Could you have LIJ turn on him, and they are go, all become heels? And he, that's, the, that's the one other option, but I don't, see, I don't think they will do that yeah. personally. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Uh, next question from EMJ does PR. He says, which Gaijin slash Gaijins are you most looking forward to returning? Have you heard that the term Gaijin is extremely offensive and we shouldn't be saying it? I heard Meltzer mention that on uh, Observer Radio this weekend. Oh, I, di- I haven't listened to the Observer Radio. I, th- so I, I, think, didn't... I think it was Meltzer. It was, it was somebody, some podcast. I've heard to. someone else say we're not supposed to say that. And I was like, oh. Well, we've got a whole award where we <laughs> we award the best gaijin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so um, who am I most looking forward to returning? I mean, I wanted to say Osprey, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. I mean, obviously, from uh, from an in ring standpoint, um, I, I would love Will Osprey, but obviously, you know, there's a lot of questions surrounding him and stuff that he's done in the past so jay white <laughs> well i mean I, honestly i think knows? for for, for bullet club's sake i think jay white needs to come back as soon as possible yeah maybe he'll shave that terrible beard i don't like the beard bro <laughs> i don't like it but anyways i don't know i mean those are the two big players right yeah maybe really mm, yes yeah get really back um, trying to think who else is uh, missing right is he, now. I wonder if he's having matches down in Mexico, like during this whole COVID. I'm, I'm like, yeah. Well, I mean, there's always the AW guys. You got Mox and you got Jericho. I mean, at some point they're probably going to return. I assume. Yeah. I think you know having Juice and Finley would be back would be good to have back as for you know getting them in the mix and the tag team to pile the picture is having another team there. Jeff Cobb. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think the two big names obviously are Will Ospreay and Jay White. Yeah. So, and no, it's not technically a Gaijin, but Kenta. I think it'd be good to get Kenta back soon as well. Yeah, he well, he's not not even technically. He's not at all. Right. Like, <laughs> but I mean, he's not. He's, I mean, he's, he's not there right now. Is what I'm trying to get. At. Gotcha. Okay. Um, cool. Next question from Grunty Dodds. He says. With only two members wrestling full-time and one that's any good, Bullet Club is looking pretty weak these days. Who would you add to fill gap until travel restrictions get back to normal? I'd personally split Rapungi 3K, but I waver on which guy to turn. Um, well, I would just say I wouldn't do that at all. Um, I mean, it might be fun to kind of you know, kind of think of who you could add, but I, I can't. To me, part of the appeal of Bullet Club has always been that it was sort of like a foreigner heel faction. I know that things have changed in recent years, and they have more domestic guys. But personally, if I was – the one thing I would change is I, w- I don't even like Gato and Jado in, in Bull- like Bullet Club. Yeah. I think, that, I think they're unnecessary. I think they bloat the entire thing in, at, like entirely. I think they need to get rid of them. Um, and I don't know if I would add anybody else personally. Yeah, because it, it's a temporary solution. But what do you do when you know everything's everyone gets back? Right. Then the group's just way too big, and then you gotta start you know booting other people out, and 
So I honestly, I, for right now, I think you just leave it the way it is and just hope that you know the the other guys can come in as soon as possible. But yeah, I wouldn't add anybody to Bullet Club right now. Even splitting Rapungi 3K, if you did add one of them, they have two juniors already, and we kind of saw what happened in the past when um, when they had three juniors. It like kind of was a bit much. Yeah, but but if we were going to go the route of adding one of the Rapungi 3K, 3K guys, I think I would go with Yo, with him kind of being bitter and jealous of how well Show has been doing, and have him kind of turn. Maybe. I, I feel like something tells me Yo is a bastard. And, <laughs> or I'm sorry, something tells me Sho is a bastard and he might, you know, kind of just fit fit that group like a glove. And Yo could be the the hurt. He could be the Marty. We always call him the Marty Janetti. Mm, yeah. He needs, he, needs, he needs to be the Marty Onetti and, and uh, be the baby face while Sho can, you know, take Bullet Club and, and ride those coattails and go on to greatness. Sho Michaels joins the clique. <laughs> yeah, Show Michaels joins the clique. He starts throwing up two sweets, giving people the crotch. Like that fits perfect. Uh, next question here from Highest Fly Flow says, "What was the reason for Loki not working NJPW? I thought he refused the Earthquake Relief tour, but someone on Twitter said something about the Hitman cosplay. Any clue what the real reason was?" Yeah, I know. Do you know? No, I mean I've I've heard several stuff about Loki, and clearly Loki's one of those guys you hear tons of stories about, and him having a bad attitude, and you know, obviously being super demanding, and kind of having you know want to do things his way. But I don't know the particular reason for him leaving New Japan. Okay, um, so basically, everything that you kind of said, from what I understand, is probably has elements of truth to it. And everything that Highest Fly Flow has mentioned has elements of truth to it, too. So it's kind of all of that. Um, basically, he didn't want to go to Fukushima. Uh, I believe that's where it was. That's where the earthquake hit and the nuclear re- you know, site like had the like spill and all that, right? Mm-hmm. So they were going to go to Fukushima, and he didn't want to go there. And this was going to be, like say, February. So in like December of that year, he was still the IWGP junior champion. And they were telling him like, yo, you're going in February to Fukushima. Um, he declined. He didn't think it was safe. Uh, and you know, he might've been right. Like, you know, at this point, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say who's right. Who's wrong. His opinion at the time was that based on the research and everything that they were putting all of the talent at risk by even being in Fukushima, that they shouldn't go. And he told me he wasn't comfortable with it. And they were like, oh, you're going. And he's like, I'm not going. And he only had like one more date left on his contract, which was Wrestle Kingdom. So that meant that they were pretty much not going to re-sign. So that's when they decided to have him drop the belt at Wrestle Kingdom. And as a last final like kind of FU, he decided to wear the Hitman cosplay outfit. And he did not clear it with the office or disclose it. And in fact, he had done multiple, um, like, you know, they do like the videos behind the scenes and everything like that. They did a bunch of videos for like press and everything like that. And he was wearing his regular like ring gear entrance attire. And then a few minutes before the actual match started, he changed into the Hitman cosplay outfit. And it was his, what he claims was a silent protest against what they were trying to make the wrestlers do. 
And the office didn't like that. They didn't take kindly to it. The match is awesome. And the outfit is awesome as well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then they've never talked to him. They've never invited him back. Like, I doubt they're – you know how they are. Like, they don't even want to work with TNA, and it's not even the same company. It's not even the same owners. Right. Once, and, once so, they sour on you in any kind of way, they're kind of – they kind of wash their hands of you, and they're kind of done. Yeah, they're not like Vince. Vince – Vince will bring you back and do business with you unless you're Macho Man for some weird reason. No one knows. <laughs> but everyone else, he'll bring you back and he'll do business. But like New Japan's not really like that. There's like a an honor code there and he kind of broke it. So, yeah. Yeah. And right now Loki's on Twitter is telling us we shouldn't be, be forced to wear masks. So there's that. I don't think we should be forced to wear masks. I mean, I mean that is getting a bit political, but I think that everyone should just do it. Just do it. <laughs> like, chill out. <laughs> People are dying, dude. Yeah. Like, what the, f- well, what the heck? Well, Dr. Loki thinks differently, so. <laughs> God. Okay. So, moving on to the next question from Reddit user Just a Little Bear Zero One. With all the allegations flying around the British wrestling scene, can you see NJPW pulling back their excursions and maybe send them to finish up at the LA Dojo? if only to not have the stink attached to their talent. So, I mean, the only the two talents they have there are Shota Umino and uh, Oka, uh, Tomiyoki Uka, Oka, who's wrestling as the Great Okarn. I think it is possible, um, realistically. Plus, I mean, you, you have to take into consideration other things, too. I mean, we don't even know. I mean, I don't know exactly what's going on in the British wrestling scene right now, but... Aside from just the speaking out movement, you know, with COVID-19 and everything, there are companies shutting down. There are opportunities that are, like, drying up. And I don't know how much better the U.S. indie scene is going to be long term. I don't know. And, bro, Mexico is a mess right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, people, people are dying down there, like, bad. So, I mean, fucking excursion. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right, there might not be any excursions for a while just based on like the travel situation and everything with the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, you might send them to quote-unquote finish up at the LA Dojo, but that might just entail them being trained by Shibata. They're probably not going to be working very many local shows. They're not going to Mexico. And they might just be working them Friday night weird-ass shows that New Japan might be doing. I, you know, I hope those Lions Break Project what, – what's it called? Lions Project? Lions Break Collision. You know, I hope they're good. You know, maybe I'm just like being, you know, skeptical and they end up being the rawest thing ever, but I doubt it. <laughs> so I, I don't I don't know what's going to happen with Shota. And uh, but, you know, this might be good life experience. I mean, there were times in the past where when uh, when Watanabe, who was evil, when he was in America, he didn't even really wrestle that much. Like he was kind of just there learning and eating and gaining weight and getting in shape like you know he didn't do that much and yeah, so maybe yeah. they'll maybe they'll just leave him down there yeah i guess we'll see what happens yeah i don't know we'll see um next question here from reddit user lester murphy 34 both tag team divisions are pretty bare now especially with the foreign talent having to stay home but the junior division is looking very weak if they split up a punky 3k who do you see becoming the top few junior teams. They've got to start building up some new teams soon, right? Well, 
you know, there's been a lot of speculation about them splitting up Rapongi 3K, and I, I don't think it's impossible that they do that, but I, I don't think they're doing it right now. Yeah. For that, for this exact reason. Yeah, I, I feel like pre-pandemic, I feel like this was going to be like the last like banner year for Rapongi 3K, and I felt like after this year we're, we're going to lead to the split, but. Yeah, with the pandemic and with there not being a ton of teams in the division, I think they might stay together a little bit longer. And obviously, it's going to be hard to get a, a lot of new, you know, foreign teams in. So unfortunately, I think we're going to be stuck with you know potentially, you know, Desperado and Kanamaru again. You know, now Hiromu's back, you can do Hiromu and Bushi um, challenging them. Um, but besides that, we don't. There's not a lot of great options within the promotion. Are they the junior champions right now? Yeah. Yeah, see, I've, I've forgotten. Um, I mean, I don't know. What what teams are there? I mean, you could hypothetically do Hiromu and Bushi. Yeah, that's what I just said. Hiromu and Bushi. And then what? You got Desperado and Kanemaru? Yeah. And I guess you could throw, like, a, a young lion team together. You could do, like, Taguchi and a young lion. Yeah. Uh, there's also always Taguchi and I mean the mega coaches. Yeah, well, Rocky's still stuck in the uh, states right now. Oh, that's right, that's right. Domestic talent. I mean, um, if you did a, a young lion team, I mean, you could do, say, uh, oh man, who who who's the Gaijin young lion that they got? Um, Gabriel. You could do you could do Gabriel and Umora. Yeah. Is there anybody else? Uh, I'm sure Tiger Mask is is around there somewhere. Yeah, you could maybe you do Tiger Mask and Taguchi. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's not an inspiring division, but when has it been? Yeah, it's, you know, it's always been two or three teams that, that they kind of revolve around. I mean, you could even do Ishimura. You could do Jeddo and Gato, Gato oh, and Jeddo. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Gato and Jato. Don't, yeah. don't want to see that. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe they could bring in some foreign or some uh, outside talent from NOAA or DDT or you know, Dragon Gate or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think that would probably be the best bet, especially if they're going to attempt to do a junior tag league later this year to reach out to some of you know domestic promotions and use some of their talent. Dude, just it's time. Fold up this division. Let's Let's get it. Mixed in with the heavyweight division, they're 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 floundering too. Like we we need it. Yeah, just one tag division. All right. Uh, next question from Viking Pain. He said, "Show is an incredible wrestler. Is there any chance we get him in the G one? I would say no. Yeah, I think chances are very slim. They, they I think they have enough heavyweights there in Japan to run the full G one without including juniors. Uh, now, let's think about this. What if? Given what's happening in America with COVID, there is absolutely positively no way that any of these guys are going to make it back in time for a G1. Then I'd say maybe. Right. Yeah, I think even without a lot of the guys and guys, they might not just they might just keep it strictly heavyweight and use the heavyweights that they have there. And maybe maybe the blocks are a little bit smaller, but I mean they still have a lot of guys, a lot of heavyweights that are there. Well, show is shown he can go, and if he has a good outing against Sonata, you just never know. Right. So that would be my one caveat. But I would generally say, no, we probably won't see him in it. 
Uh, next question. He said, also with the WWE having a COVID-19 outbreak at the Performance Center, do you guys think New Japan should be a little more cautious going forward and hold back on having fans come to shows? I mean, you, you know what my answer is going to be, Jeremy. Yeah, so it, it's kind of a tricky situation here. So obviously, you know, things here in Florida are, are a lot worse than they are in Japan. We are breaking records and having, you know, we're having 9,000 new cases in days where in Japan it looks like they're having maybe like 100 new cases a day. And they're kind of taking things, you know, they're taking care of things seriously. Uh, I guess for me, I know I know you too, my, may, my bigger concern is kind of is with the wrestlers and, and making sure that they're getting – the appropriate testing in between shows and making sure that their wrestling environment is safe. Yeah, I think um, New Japan put out a PDF. You can actually download it on their website, and um, it's pretty extensive, and it talks about everything that is required if you're going to even be attending these shows, and it's like they require you to wear a mask. They require you to get a temperature check. They're going to have sanitizing stations everywhere. You're going to be spaced very far apart from anybody else who's in the building. You're going to be required to keep to maintain a social distanced uh, space from anybody all throughout the show. Um, even like going to the bathroom, going to concession stands, there's going to be space. They're going to have special procedures for allowing people in the building and exiting and making it to their seats. So it sounds like they're trying their best to have every precaution in place. The other thing too is they're going to be giving administering temperature checks. They're not going to be giving out um like uh what are, what are those things called? Like the little magazines they give you at the beginning. The, the brochures, the programs. No programs. They're not going to be doing that. They're not going to be doing anything that they normally would be doing and there's like going to be basically no touching whatsoever. So and they're going to be asking them questions like if you've been sick, if you've had any symptoms, you know, if you've been in contact with anyone who's had any symptoms, please don't arrive. So they're doing everything in their power possible to take the precautions. The one thing that is problematic with New Japan running shows, and it's going to be until they rectify it, guys, listen to me. Trust me when I tell you this. They are not testing the wrestlers for covid 19 this is a huge fucking problem uh you know and we can see what is happening in wwe when they have not given tests now they've given a test and dude we don't even know how many people have it they're literally telling the talent not to disclose it but the the reports are like one day it was like double digits 10 next day some people were like it's over 20 last time i heard they were like it could be over 40 yeah you know what i mean it's like really bad, and it's like obviously if you test, you're going to find it. I'm not saying that – I don't know why New Japan's not testing. They have done up until this point every single possible thing perfect. They didn't run. They sent people home. They've sanitized. They've distanced. They've worn the masks. They've been socially responsible. But And then when they brought people back to work, they gave them um, antibody testing. But they have – been pretty clear and pretty transparent about everything they've done. And they have not talked about doing COVID testing one time in any press conference, in any press release, in any official document that they have ever produced. And anyone who thinks that they're testing, 
dude, I'm telling you, they're not testing. You cannot find one verifiable proof that this company is testing for COVID-19 on any of their workers, any of their wrestlers, any of their crew, nobody. And so, yeah, I do think that there is a big liability there that they're not testing. Now, last thing I'll say about this, there is an argument that they might not need to test because the curve has flattened so greatly that it might not be necessary. But we're seeing a huge second wave spring up here in America, especially in WWE. I'm not saying that that's likely going to happen there, but when you start opening things up, that's what opened up the second wave here. Them running shows with fans in attendance, the likelihood is that it is definitely a possibility that things could spread, and you got to be testing. The one company that I know that's running that is testing some people love them, some people hate them. I'm not a shill for them. I'm just telling you the facts. Every show AEW runs, you get tested twice before you get in the building. And once you're in the building, you cannot leave. And if you do, you get retested. That is how New Japan should be running, period. I know it hurts some of the pro elitists and some of the diehards who hate the elite and hate Tony Khan and hate what they're doing. But they, they literally are doing something that is, you know – Fuck a mask. <laughs> you know, people should be wearing masks. It's important, but dude, what's a mask going to do if you haven't all been tested? You got to be tested, period. Right. And, you know, like you mentioned, New Japan has been very open with what they're doing. So if they were COVID tested, why would they not come out and say that along with everything they would have told us? Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people, they see the antibody testing out. A lot of people might not know what it is. So yeah, they're doing the antibody testing, but that's just testing to see if you've had it before. Like, if you've had COVID, then you have the antibodies for it. Testing to see if you had it. But that, that's not telling you if you currently have it or, um, you know, it's, it's a totally different test than the actual COVID-19 test. I'll tell you one other thing, too. Do your research. Don't just take my word for it, but I've got close, you know, people that I'm close with that are working in the metal, uh, medical, you know, and uh, industry. The truth of the matter is, is that, the COVID tests are way more reliable than those antibody tests. Those antibody tests are not a proven thing whatsoever. There is a lot of false negatives, false positives, and things of that nature. We don't even know what an antibody even means when it comes to a disease as new as COVID-19. Right. You know, Caleb, Bra- Caleb Braxton yeah. talking about getting it twice. Yeah, that's also going to mention, yeah. And we don't even know if she actually got it twice because, dude – you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's a, like a 21-day period or whatever or a 14-day period when you have this thing. Nah, bro. Modern science is saying that pe- when people have this thing, they're testing positive for it like months after the fact. And so it could actually – there's just a lot we don't know about this disease yet. Right. It's just a lot we don't know. So an antibody test may be helpful. It may not be helpful. But you know what would definitely be helpful COVID nineteen some active testing. some active COVID nineteen testing, which sorry, I hate to say it because I love this company, but they're not doing it. The moment they start doing it, they need to tell us and we will sing their praises. Right. Um, so his last question, he says, Lastly, thoughts on Rusev possibly in New Japan. I know that he likes to troll, but a lot on his latest Twitch stream he mentioned when he goes to Japan. If he does go to Japan, I think he has a higher chance of reaching his full potential in New Japan than in AEW or Impact. Oh, snaps. Rusev is the grandmaster, LOL. I would disagree with you there because New Japan is 
something that is definitely um, – you can really become a, a really big star here for sure, but there there's definitely limitations. You know what I mean? Like for instance, um, how do I – just to kind of give an example, look at someone like Jericho. Yeah, Jericho's a big star in Japan and everything of that nature, but his antics only get him so far because – the type of company that New Japan is, the type of wrestling, and the way they present their wrestling is vastly different than, say, an American company where it's very entertainment-heavy, entertainment-based. And Jericho's been able to expand his star and expand his you know, stat- status in wrestling in AEW and become a bigger star than he ever could have just doing New Japan. And that's, that's a proven fact. It's because he has that entertainment facet to his you know, background. Uh, believe it or not, a lot of people don't really like to remember this, but like when given the ball and given the opportunity, Rusev is one of the most entertaining people in, in wrestling. He is an entertainer. Yeah, he's a brute. Yeah, he could probably do strong style. Yeah, he could probably cultivate some sort of character that would get over New Japan. I don't doubt that. But I don't know if this is the perfect place for him. I bet you in AEW he'd probably do really well. Yeah, that would be the perfect place for him to a be able to wrestle and wrestle, you know, wrestle his style. But also, you, like you mentioned, use that you know that personality that we saw with all the Rusev Day stuff. That would be more of the platform for that. Whereas, as far as New Japan, it'd be more of you know in ring kind of thing for him. Which I'm sure maybe he wants that, and that that could be good for him also. Yeah, the, the, the aftermatch promos in Japan are great, and for diehards that actually go and listen to them and watch them fantastic but the reality is the majority of people who enjoy this product don't even go watch those and i know i don't have the time to go watch them all the time they get uploaded way later you know Mm -hmm. uh you have to go track them down in a totally different place they're not as a part of the show and they're not essential or necessary to follow along they're kind of like you know the whipped cream on top of your frappuccino you know you, you don't need it it's it's just a it's a bonus it's an added thing um but you think about like when Jericho was like attacking people in the shows or, you know, that sort of thing or, or cutting those promos, the video package promos, that's kind of what got him over. That's the sort of thing Rusev would have to do to really get over in New Japan or some sort of, you know, sort of like what Kenta had to do with the Bullet Club to get himself over. Th- that's that's the reality of it. He wouldn't be able to weekly come out and do a talking segment and, you know – exercise all of his gifts and talents which he does have that aspect to him he absolutely does i've seen it you know the 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 rusev day stuff the handsome rusev stuff like like he's an entertaining guy yeah um i don't know if japanese professional wrestling is perfectly tailored to him in ring i think he could probably grow the most in japan right so yeah maybe he does both eventually or you know does a tour in japan and then Comes back to America. Who knows? But yeah, it, it, it's possible. Absolutely, I would love to see him in Japan. I mean, we we need something, you know, more shakeups and things of that nature. But uh, I wouldn't hold my breath for it. Yeah. So uh, next question from Dan Coffin: Why doesn't NJPW change the name of Jay White's faction from the Bullet Club? I mean, if Kenny and the books are persona non grata from now on, and the brand is inherently tied to them, why wouldn't they change it to something new? Do they still get a cut? of all the Bucks and Kenny BC-related shirts and pros and tees, or are Japanese fans really into Bullet Club because it seems like it's more over with Western fans? A lot of questions. Um, I'll kind of go through my mind, and then, you know, however you want to do it, Jeremy. Um, 
Um, number one, I don't think that they would change the name of the Bullet Club because the term Bullet Club is something that New Japan owns, and it is a it's a licensing um, you know product that they make a lot of money off of, and so instead of changing it, they've tried to adopt it to Jay White and continue to make money off of it. The other thing too is that I don't think it's inherently tied to Kenny and the Bucks personally because it had a long history before then and it's had a history after that. But the reality is is that in some sense it does benefit them having been tied to Kenny and the Bucks because that's where they sold the most merch and you know for those fans who might still be nostalgic and kind of attached to that time period maybe that benefits New Japan to a degree. The fact that they have happened to have been part of the history of the group, you know, that might long-term actually be a benefit as opposed to a negative. Just depends on how you look at it. Um, but you know, Frugal Devitt and AJ Styles and Carl Anderson, all those guys, they were there long before the elite was ever a thing years before. Um, the other thing too, is I, I don't think that they, are they still selling, uh, bullet club related stuff on their pro wrestling tees, the elite guys? No, I don't think so. See, that's the thing. I don't think they are. Now, if they are, I don't know how that works. I know the one of the big complaints of the elite guys was that they weren't getting a big cut of any of the merchandise that New Japan was selling with their likenesses on it for the Bullet Club. Like uh, The majority of the money was going to New Japan, and that was a big issue for the elite guys. And one reason why they left the Bullet Club and didn't want to be a part of it Um and as far as J- Japanese fans being into it anymore, I, I I mean, it was. It was really, really, really over. Um, I don't know how over it is right now, honestly. Like, it, there's no fans, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of gauge it. It did seem like Kenta was picking up some steam. I know last year, Jay White seemed to have some, some steam behind him as well. And I, we were seeing a lot of switchblade towels and things of that nature, but I, I don't know what the merchandising numbers look like i will say it's probably a lot less than what it had been previously in the past before jay white took over right yeah we don't have the exact numbers on it but i mean you know what when we still had a crowd you, know, you, you still saw a lot of bullet club t-shirts and like you mentioned that there were you know a rise in jay white towels and stuff like that so i i think it's definitely still a popular brand obviously it's nowhere near the heights that it was with kenny and the elite there um but I, I still think it's a brand that people like and buy merch for in Japan. But yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think you kind of covered it all with all those points there. Next question from Kyle Martin. He says, what is the likelihood that we'll get Sonata versus Evil in the semis and then Hiromu versus Sonata in the finals? So yeah, so we kind of touched on that earlier. Um, you know, we think that the, the safe option is Sonata-Goto, but the more intriguing option would be Sonata Evil. And I, I think it's a good chance. I think, honestly, that match could is a 50-50 toss-up match. And I think either Evil or Goto could win. Uh, and then we talk I'd, about- go 50, I'd go 51-49. Uh, Goto 51, <laughs> Evil 49. Uh, and then we talked about Hiromu versus Sonata in the finals. Just like the, the chances of Hiromu you know, getting past Okada are uh, very, very slim. Yeah, I agree. I, I, well, I, I could see Hiromu beating Nagata but not Okada. And if he does, 
then Sonata would have to beat him, I assume, which I don't like that story as much. It doesn't make as much. I think Sonata beating Okada means a lot more than Sonata beating Hiromu. Yeah. Personally, but I, who knows? Maybe they, maybe they go that way. Maybe they go Sonata beating evil, Sonata beating Hiromu. That'd be kind of crazy, right? Yeah, it would be. <laughs> uh, he also asked, do you guys remember a specific Tai Chi match in a tournament a few years ago where he stalled for nine minutes and gets in a quick low blow and cheap roll up for the win? Know what I'm talking about? Nope. I mean, that sounds, that sounds like a lot of Tai Chi matches from from earlier in his career. I, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, but I don't remember that specific match. I mean, that's pretty specific. I don't, I don't remember that. Yeah, neither do I. He also asked, "Why are all the major wrestling fans in Japan promoted as gender exclusive? Is it just a cultural thing?" Uh, it is a cultural thing. We've talked about it ex- uh, extensively on the show in the past, but um, I, it's funny Kyle's asking this because Kyle. At this point, Kyle, I know Kyle does like mad research all the time on the internet. So it's, <laughs> it's like the res- the resources are out there. But I mean, the long story short is this. When wrestling first started, they had a men's organization and women's organizations. And it kind of just came up from that uh, sensibility from the 50s and, you know, going on. Women just kind of had their own promotion where they were focused on and men had their own. And people kind of became attached and attracted to that. And it's just never really crossed. There are some companies that are not gender exclusive, but, you know, the reality is major wrestling feds in Japan are gender exclusive because of the way that wrestling started back then culturally. Um, And his last question, you guys think we'll be seeing any former WWE guys debut by the end of the tournament, a potential Bullet Club reunion, perhaps? I don't think we'll be seeing any Bullet Club reunion. The only way I think we could be seeing any sort of debut is via Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> It'd have to be some sort of like a video package because guys in America are not going to Japan right now. Right, yeah. I know. So I know like Paul- Guns and Gallows. Yeah, I know they've been teasing. Yeah, I know they've been teasing on their Twitter. You know, once their no competes over, you know something big is going to be happening, and they're planning to go back to New Japan. Blah blah. But yeah, with the travel ban and travel restrictions right now, yeah, I don't think that they'll be showing up anytime soon. Well, there's talk that they're in you know discussions to show up at Slammiversary and maybe work a uh, a type of schedule that would allow them to work Japan as well as um, you know Impact. But part of me just kind of feels like, what if they're just master workers and the big surprise is just that they're going to impact and that'd be it. Could be. <laughs> and, and we're sitting here thinking like, all oh, these guys are coming to New Japan and it's like, nah, play it. <laughs> Work an impact with Moose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be in the impact zone, brothers. Yeah, so. yeah, we'll, we'll is that even, I don't even think they have that anymore, right? No, no. no yeah, the impact zone's gone. Um, that's going to do it for the questions, right? Um, yep, that wraps up the questions. And now we just have a few quick news items here. Uh, so the LIJ Super 7 Action Figure Series is now available for, for pre-order on the Token Shop Global. So if you want, you can check those out and pre-order those. Uh, we had an announcement about the Lions Break Collision announced team. So there will be Japanese and English commentary for these Lions Break Collision shows. So for the Japanese team, they will have uh, Shigeki Kiyono. He'll be commentating with Tanahashi and Shibata. 
And then on the English side, there it will be Kevin Kelly, Gino Gambito, and Chris Charlton. Um, and there was a note here. This was passed along to us by JM Factor in our Discord on Tom Lawler's podcast, uh, post-UFC show on Observer last week. He pointed out that all talent had to be tested. All talent was quarantined. Uh, the locker room area was outside. The canvas was clean between matches, as was the backstage area. And they taped over a dozen matches for the Lions break collision shows hey if if that's what they're doing for the collision shows maybe that is what they're doing for the um for the shows in japan my only thing is that if they did that it would be really weird for them to announce every single thing that they're doing except the testing right so i hope i would love to be wrong on this i would completely love to be wrong i'd love for them to be quarantining and doing all this stuff and testing for every single match and every single show and everything like that. I hope that's the case. I don't think it is, but we'll see. So uh, next up, Bad Luck Fale, he did an interview on NJPW 1972, had comments about the elite and they were, you know, interviewing him about, you know, when Kenny Omega took over the Bullet Club, um, New Year's Dash 2016. Um, and you know, talking about he said it was exciting at first. NJPW was expanding into America with Kenny and Bull Club at the forefront. I thought this was our chance to take what we had built and bring it to the states, bring it to the world. Um, it got a lot of notoriety as a brand, but it didn't turn out like we thought. Um, it wasn't taking what we had built overseas. It was taking Kenny and the elite's vision overseas. We weren't wrestling the way we did. We were wrestling the way they did. It really felt like we were losing our identity. Any thoughts on Fale's comments there? He ain't lie. <laughs> this is exactly what happened. It's hundred percent true. Yeah, and yeah, there's a lot of even Tamas kind of talked about it too on his podcast and just how things kind of changed when uh, Kenny took over leadership of the Bullet Club. Um, in other news, Bushi Road released its February to April business report. Uh, New Japan isn't broken down specifically, um, but they do have a category for sports business, which is mostly New Japan revenue. Although it does include Knockout, which is their kickboxing kickboxing promotion that Bushiro just recently sold and stardom in those numbers um, with no March or April live events in what is still mainly a live events promotion revenue fell from 11.6 million to 9.1 million for the quarter a 21.6% drop uh, however from August 1st to April 30th Bushiro sports business event went from 38 million to 39.7 million so they're actually 4.5% up for the 9.7 million for the fiscal year they will likely show a decline for the year because of no live gates for May and June. And whatever July gates there are would be with 30% spectator, spectator capacity. So it should drop greatly. The November through February quarter before the pandemic increased business from $12.7 million to $16.9 million or 33.1%, which was largely due to the second Tokyo Dome show. Due to the pandemic and shutting down so many shows, it will be the first time since Bushi Road purchased the company that total revenue will decline over the course of a full year as compared with the prior year. And that comes nice. from the Wrestling Observer. Uh, another note there, too, is even after a three-and-a-half-month between shows, New Japan World subscription numbers stayed steady, although no actual number was given, but the usual range is 100000 to 125000 depending on the time of the year usually higher during G1 and Wrestle Kingdom season. Yep. So, you know, obviously, as expected, numbers to be down with uh, no live gates and a, you know, a mainly, you know, touring promotion right now. Absolutely. 
And that's going to wrap things up with the news. Only last thing we got to do now is the recommended match of the week. Um, so last week on the fly, I quickly recommended Show versus Shingo from last year's Best of the Super Junior. Uh, do you get a chance to go back and watch that one? You know, there wasn't a lot of clarity here as to exactly what we were doing for recommended <laughs> <laughs> match of the week. I wasn't sure if we were going back to the old method where we were just recommending a match or whether we were telling each other to go watch it. So, no, I did not go back and watch Show versus Shingo. Um, but with that being the case, I mean, I don't really need to have watched it. That This is a match that, you know, I, I absolutely adore. It was during the first night of the Super Juniors last year. And, you know, the moment that Shingo got into New Japan Pro Wrestling – he was kind of catapulted into the junior division and spent most of his time in tag matches. Um, and once him and Bushi started tagging, that's when they kind of focused in on their pursuit of the junior tag team titles. And, um, you know, most of their great matches were between them and Rapongi 3K, namely the matches that they had with, uh, or the interactions that Shingo and Sho had with one another. And, you know, Sho had been up to the point when Shingo joined the division, probably the most buffed out muscle, you know, strong style based junior of the division. And once Shingo showed up, he was like, uh-uh, playa, it's <laughs> me now. You know, you got to face the master. And um, Shingo would sun Sho every single time they fought. And this happened all the time. And, like, Sho was like this rabid dog who just, you know, couldn't stop seeing red every time he saw Shingo and he'd just go after him like headstrong. And so it all kind of culminated in this first round match that they had with one another. And, you know, Shingo being a favored contender to win the tournament, win the A block, um, you know, he had a real big task in front of him facing his rival and show. And this is actually like, aside from a young line match, the first singles match we saw of Shingo in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And this match super delivered it felt literally like a g1 style match it didn't feel in tone or style like it belonged in the junior division um which is a good thing because i i think junior wrestling should be a very varied sort of thing and not necessarily just one sort of flippy style wrestling like i think junior wrestling should should encompass all styles of wrestling and these guys went out there put it on the line tons of near falls super hard hitting show pushing go to the to the limit i think it was probably the um i don't know i'd say it was like maybe shingo's toughest test during the uh you know the a block during that year and show was like this far away from actually picking up the win uh he wasn't able to do it and shingo was able to finally get him out of there but it was the toughest test of shingo's a block run in the um best super juniors last year and I put that in my top 10 matches of the year. Um, the only junior match that I personally liked better than this from last year was Osprey and Shingo. I would have, I, I, I could have easily gone near five stars. I think it's like four and three quarter and just, just a match that really lived up to and exceeded the expectations. Yeah. Great matchup. So what's uh, the recommended match of the week for this week? So uh, my recommended match of the week. And since we are making it clear, Jeremy, you do have to go watch this match. Yes. Uh, but trust me, you're going to want to. Um, as we are kicking it old school, um, we're going back to NJPW Wrestling World 2004 from the Tokyo Dome, January 4th. 
Um, we have Yuji Nagata taking on Kenzuki Suzaki in what is undoubtedly the bloodiest match in the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Nice. Lo- lo- love some color. <laughs> and not only that, it is just literally one of the most violent matches you will ever see. I think it only goes 13 minutes, honestly. Nice. Like, it is incredible. Incredible. All right. Well, looking forward to checking that out and giving my thoughts next week. Well, that is going to wrap things up for this week's episode of Keeping It Strong Style. Next week, we'll be back with coverage of the rest of the second round, quarterfinals, and semifinals. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. Also follow us at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex in the Wrestling Squared Circle. Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the Pro Black Guy. Y'all just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Also check out our Social Suplex Discord channel. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have Bunnation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Broyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown men watch this shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Getting the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The ace of podcasts. It's Yvonne. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.